Curtain going up. Curtain going up. Places, please. Overture, stand by. Ladies and gentlemen, she comes to you from the cornfields of Indiana. She loves the Constitution more than she likes most people. Allow me to introduce Shouse in the House. Trump didn't read that part, I guess. When he... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to Shouse in the House. I am here with my absolutely spectacular friend, Eric Bandazowski. Zowski, Bandazowski. 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 Spectacular. Let's, I mean, let's, let's he's pretty spectacular. His name is garbage, but he's spectacular. His name is, wow. <laughs> His name is garbage. Wow. No, I'm notorious you anyway. Like anytime I do garbage. my morning show or any anything like that, I butcher everyone's name. Like that's kind of become my thing now. That's is I thing? just never say anyone's name right, and I'm just like I don't care. I uh, like I finally learned how to say Pregoshin because. Everyone was getting mad at me for calling him Prigatsin. <laughs> oh, that is this the Russian dude? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I still have no idea how to say that. But that's a Russian name. You don't really need to know those. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, so it's, wait, so how do you say it? Prigozhin? Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound Russian at all. It sounds very... No, Russian. I know. It sounds like Danny Ocean. Like you're... Yeah. You're, you're Prigozhin. My rap name was Ray Ocean. So there you go. <laughs> Once upon a time. That's weird. Okay, so for everyone who's tuning in, if you don't know Eric, which you probably do, I mean, if you're in my circle, you're in his circle too. But if you're not, you need to be because he's pretty amazing. Um, Talk about your show. So it's There Will Be Bourbon, but apparently now there will be wine also. (laughs) So there's wine tonight because I wasn't doing There Will Be Bourbon. So there will be a guest who drinks wine. And just specifically, this is my buddy. He imports wine from Bolivia. This is a Tanat Tanat. That's some French stuff, but anyway, it's delicious. Check out llamawines.com and you can get it there. But so the show that I do, there will be bourbon. It's literally just, I take people who I think are interesting and I make them more interesting probably to myself through bourbon. (laughs) So as I just take, it's an open free form discussion, probably like your show is. And it just, I go where the bourbon takes me. That's it. And it's on, you know, the same place as your site is everywhere you can find it. There will be bourbon. What's your what's your handle? Just so everybody. Can oh, on Twitter it would be Eric at Eric T W B B Tango Whiskey Bravo Bravo. There will be bourbon. There you go. Um, how did what made you decide to get into podcasting? Like where? Yeah. What, what compelled you? So way back in high school, I I used to be uh, in television production, is what they called the the class. Okay. So I used to do the morning announcements. So like junior, senior year, like I was the desk. I was on right. the desk. It was me and my friend, Anna Salas. What's up, Anna? I think she still works. She actually made a career out of it somewhere. I think she was in Pittsburgh at one point on, as an anchor. Um, so no, I was always into that side of it. Uh, the production side, I didn't really like too much. I thought editing was hard. I didn't like, and this was back when you had to chop up video, like VCR tapes, right? Sure, yeah. Oh, way too much work. Um, and then I always liked the talking piece of it. Yeah. When I went to when I went to college to play baseball, my my major at the time was uh, broadcasting, and I always thought I would get into that. But to be totally honest with you, I was not a serious student, so I didn't really. Yeah, I didn't. It was too late before I realized I had to put work in on that side of stuff. Uh, and then yeah. I was in the army, and then my love of this always it, it came back at some point. I got really into sports for a while, sports talk. Um, 
I made some connections with the local guys that I was at the time in Orlando, Florida through ESPN radio. Uh, Jerry O'Neill, he was actually on my podcast once upon a time. He's retired radio legend dude from Orlando sports. Nice. So he actually at the time. Okay. So I don't know if you know this one. Do you, do you remember a site? I think it still exists called blog talk, blog talk radio. No? no. Okay. So this was like when I finally decided to figure out how do I get back into this stuff? Um, blogtalkradio.com was a site that you could go live and stream on. So okay. it was like a talk radio. It had a board. You could upload sound effects, intro music, all this stuff. This was like this. Definitely Sounds like it was a little bit before its time. Yes. Well, it still exists, but so everyone used to do like online talk shows. There wasn't a video component really because this was like 2010 through 2012. Sure. So I was doing that. My buddy Jerry, like I mentioned, he got me uh, connected with the Orlando Magic. So I used to get press access to the Orlando Magic, which was hilarious. Um, so yeah, there's this guy walking around the Orlando Magic locker room, hanging out in the uh, press box area, eating all the free food, who doesn't really do anything other than <laughs> tend to call in the sports talk shows and thinks he's going to be a sports talk host one day. And that was me. And then uh, what was actually ahead of our time, since you mentioned that, my buddy and I, Derek, uh, he army buddy of mine actually met him in my, in Iraq in 04. He was my replacement in, in 04. Uh, him and I, he got me into sports gambling probably like mid 2000s. So this is way before now where it's like you walk up to a stadium and there's a sports book attached to it. Sure, right? Yeah. Taboo thing at the time. So we started doing, um, we, so we started doing a, a, a we, we did a, website. a little more wine and then you'll be yeah, a little did, bit more free with what you tell me. And then we would do like once a week, we would do a show always like covering the spread on things. We would put our picks out. He would do four. I would do four. And we'd sit there and argue about our picks for a half hour every week. And that was kind of like my first real foray into doing my own thing. Sure. Yeah, and I wrote a blog forever. Got tired of doing that when I deployed to Afghanistan. I just, I, I never was that military out. related when you did Not the blog. No, it was more. I it was more politically. Okay. Yeah, it was more political. Um, yeah, I mean, years ago, I thought I'd end up in politics at some point. My undergrad was political science. Once I went back to school and tried, since you know originally it was broadcasting, I wasn't trying because <laughs> I was under that impression that I was just going to be a pro baseball player. And uh, yeah, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you get to college and you find out everybody's good and then right. yeah, you know, talent plays out. And I wasn't on the high end of that. That story. happened when my son just started T-ball. He found out that these parents go hard in the paint before the kids can walk at this point. Like it's, it was insane. I get out there and this poor boy, like, you know, I, I thought, you know, let's get him into something. Let him try something new. These parents are showing up with their motorized carts and their, Chairs that are rocking chairs when you fold them out for T-ball. Hey, it's you got to start young. Well, the email, (laughs) the email that I got said you just need cleats and a glove. Like that's what I was about the motorized carts and. No, I missed that memo apparently. But I get there and my poor son, like he needed a helmet and a bat and all this other stuff, and I helmet for T-ball. These people are serious. They are serious about it's still T-ball. Ball on the T, though. You just I know. Like, you but one kid anyway. got nailed in the forehead, and I was like, "Oh, okay." So that's so the helmet didn't matter. It didn't even matter. 
he was in the he was out in the field, so it was, I don't know. Oh, okay. Got but it. yeah, the, I I learned a lesson. I'm not I I have already like I'm like boy, you know me. We've talked about this before. Like my yeah. boycott of the gymnastics mom world. Like I just yeah. refuse to participate. Um, and I've discovered that I am going to be boycotting baseball mom world too. Like I'm not cut out for the mom of athletes world. I would think you're probably going to find a little more intensity in the baseball world as he gets better and yeah. more involved. Cause, cause then you gotta get into like this travel stuff starts earlier and earlier. Like yeah. my best friend, his son's really, really good. And he's already finding out, like, I think he's like 11 and they're already tournaments all over the place. Yeah. And stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. They never stop playing, which is good and bad, but uh, I think it, I don't know if it's, I mean, it is good and bad. Don't get me wrong, but I think there has to be, especially at that age, you got to do other things besides just play one sport and, and just. You say that, but that, again, I don't want to like go over something. the same shit that we've already talked about. But like Ainsley, she does gymnastics. You know that. Yeah. But she, her season ended on uh, Memorial Day weekend. Like that was her mm -hmm. last practice with her old team. Her new season started the following Monday. Like it was, right there in. was no, <laughs> no there's break. no break. And she practices three days a week, four day, four hours a day. She's still killing it. Um, She's doing really well. She's, she has a mental block right now. One of her events she's struggling with, but other than that, she's doing really well. Yeah. There's every time I watch gymnastics, I'm like, She's know. working on her back handspring on the beam right now. So it's like, See? yeah, you get the beam out of the way. We're fine. But I gotta make it <laughs> it's so funny. I was watching. There was a guy, a male gymnast who was like, okay, I'm going to do a back handspring on the beam. Mm -hmm. And so like he's practicing. So he has like this real wide beam at first and he's doing it on the floor. Mm -hmm. And then he like layers the mats and he's doing it. And he's like, okay, I got this. I got this. He removes like the false beam, which is like about, I don't know, probably four inches wider than a regular beam. Oh, okay. That's how once, once he took that off and tried to do it on the regular beam, he wouldn't even try it. Like he wouldn't even practice it. He was like, yeah, no, I can't do this. I, this is ridiculous. It's he's like, it's this, yeah. like this big, he goes, I can't do it. So that reminds me like, so I did, I did other sports besides baseball growing up. I just was better at it, but you know, I swam and I was doing diving and I remember doing diving at like, I think 13 years old was when it was time to move on to the, the platforms, right? Right. Five meter. Okay, I'm good. And then they're like, <laughs> you need to climb up to the seven and the 10. And I remember going up to the seven and meter. I'm like, I'll jump off this, but I'll. And then I well, watched, the, the, I watched the, like the 15, 16, eight, like the actual really good divers doing handstands and stuff off. Of, I'm like, yeah, absolutely not. This is where this ends for me. Like, no, too high. Not well, anytime it. I watch it in the Olympics, like I'm always petrified that they're going to hit their head because of how close they are to the, the board. Whenever oh, they definitely. Start. Well, that happened. You remember Greg Luganis? Yeah. He trained yep. at my pool there in Orlando. That's where that was, the Orlando Aquatic Center years ago in Orlando. Yeah, Greg Luganis was, yeah, he hit his head. I think he's the only one I've ever known to do that at that level, obviously. Right. No one cares about people like myself trying it, but Yeah. <laughs> But you're right. And that's that's definitely part of the the fear to overcome. And I just wasn't me. Yeah. Good. I don't blame you. Yeah. Okay. Next. Right, are we done? We ready to no. go. <laughs> no, we're not done. But next question. So you've mentioned the military a lot. Yeah. 
how okay and you're your I didn't really pay attention to college the first time. Right. So talk to me about how that unfolded. How did you end up in the military? What MOS did you choose? How long were you in? Because you just got out, right? Like this yeah. was uh, less than a year ago. Well, yeah, I got out uh, off of the, the active guard reserve program, the AGR program. So I'm back in the reserve world. So yeah, still okay. somewhat into it. But no, it's funny because the MOS thing's going to get really funny. Um, so the, the only reason I ever joined was 9-11. That was it. So I was in college, like I said. I went to play baseball. Um, wasn't a serious student because I didn't think you needed to be if you were there to play baseball. Like, I just had so many negative You were just going to be a professional baseball player. I was. Like you knew. I, I was. But like I said, I was What not... team would you have played at? Like, what would have been your dream team to play oh, at? Oh, San Francisco Giants, for sure. San Francisco Giants all day. I grew up a Barry Bonds fan. So I started as a Pirates fan and then he signed with the Giants. I remember right when I was you at just a baseball summer cap. Yeah. yeah. And then I, that was it. And it was impossible to be a, a Giants fan growing up in the East coast. Cause you never got to watch games. This is a struggle. I got to fight right now. I have to wait for the game to start, but at least they're playing on the East coast tonight. The game starts yeah. at 10 o'clock at night. I can't watch that stuff, but I try. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I, Eric, you're talking like an old man. What do you mean? I go to bed. I like sleep. Why? The game starts at 10, 15. I got to be up at six. I don't got time to sit up there and <laughs> go to bed at like two in the morning. Don't get me wrong. I've done it. It's just, yeah. At this you point, I advanced in my yeah. age. <laughs> I want to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So 9-11 happened. Um, it, it, the way it happened was different, right? So, again, this is one of the funniest things I, I think and look back on hindsight. And I've, I've told my daughter this story a million times. It's like, don't, don't do what I did. Just, you know, and she's fortunately never going to go down that path. Cause she's actually serious. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have any unrealistic like sports dreams that I have to try and, you know, nudge her. Toward. Mitigate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and let her help her see the side of the, you know, there is an alternative, right? You right. might not be good enough. Right. So I, you know, um, so I was, this was 2001, the summer of 2001. So I, my freshman year of college was 99, 2000. I go and get like a 1.4 GPA, right? How so did I'm you get to stay on the team? No, watch, it gets better. So I was <laughs> academically ineligible to go back. Okay. So I was like, all right, what do I got to do? And, he's, and then they're like, well, you got to go to community college. You can't come back here. You got to get your GPA up. I was like, all right. Got it. So I go to Valencia Community College, which is now Valencia College in Orlando, 4.0. And I remember my parents are like, well, why did you just do that to begin with? I'm like, well, I, I don't know. It's not like school's hard. I just didn't care. I was just there to right. play baseball. In my head, this is my rationale. I'm just sure. here to play baseball, right? It's not, not the smartest thing in the world in hindsight, right? But, you know, 24 years ago, it's a little different. So I go back and I go, I get, I go in and meet with the athletic director and I can't remember her name, but I do remember I could, if I saw her again, I, I would know exactly what she, and I remember her telling me when I was academically ineligible, you have to go and get your GPA up. I'm like, all right, I did. So I make this meeting with her. I go and sit with her and she's like, oh, well, welcome back. But now you have to do it again here for a semester. <laughs> And in my whole head, I built up this, oh, I'm going back. It's sophomore So you're on year. like academic probation. I'm ready to point. go play because, you know, freshman year was basically a redshirt year. I'd gotten really good, actually, which was the funny part because I was there to pitch. And I actually got, I got really, really good at 
what I needed to get good at. And I was excited to go out there at my sophomore year and actually play. And that when she said that I didn't get to play because I have to do it for a year there in my head, this is the dumbest thing. Like in hindsight, I could have ever done, but in my little, you know, 19 year old brain, I was like, no, I just won't go to class. Right. Right. And so I didn't, I literally sat there first semester and just hung out in our baseball dorm with five other dudes on the team and I got to go to practice. Like I practiced and everything. And then like halfway through the semester, I realized it's too late. Yeah. Like I, the brain turned on and is like, it's too late to even go. I actually sat for one of my finals. I remember it was a computer science final, massive class, probably like a thousand people in it. And I remember showing up, I was just like, I'll just go for the finals. And <laughs> you aced your final. No, oh. <laughs> the professor, like I went up to him cause you know, I'm like, there's no, I don't have a test or whatever. And he's like, what's your name? I told him my name. And he's just like, we haven't been here all semester. You don't get to take the final. Oh, nice. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. That checks out. Right. So yeah. So that semester, 0.0. <laughs> I didn't get a grade. I got a zero. So that was it. Like it was all right. You're done. See ya. Bye. What do I got to do? Same thing. I got to do the same thing. Get your grades back up. That summer, once again, back to Valencia, 4.0, but I couldn't go back to my school. I had to do it for a year consecutive. So the next, and I was, I was just over it. I didn't want to do it. Like I, I felt like I was everything I was missing out on. And this is, you know, the first week of September in 2001. And I was doing other things at the time. I was pursuing music in my head and all this stuff. And I'd been up all night. And I remember I was sitting there. You should totally pull your video up so yeah. everybody can hear you sing. I didn't sing. I rapped. Or play. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> play. I played anything. Um, so September 11th. So rapping is singing. It's not singing. It's rapping. Oh, my God. Okay, keep going. Michael Jackson's a singer. I was not a singer. <laughs> okay. Um, so anyway, September 10th, I'm up all night working on something, you know, writing, blah, blah, blah. And I, if I was up late during the week, I would listen to Howard Stern in the morning. And then I would usually go to bed usually like seven, eight in the morning. So I'd listen to a few hours of a show. Well, for whatever reason, I was just, I was just up and I was listening. And I remember him saying a, a plane had hit the tower. And I thought, all right, Howard Stern does some stupid shit from time to time. I don't think he'd play this game. Now the irony of this is I was just in New York from September 7th to September 9th. Holy recording. shit. Like we were up there recording with a friend of ours. And so I came back on the ninth. I remember seeing the towers from the runway. I used to be able to see the towers. I think we left from the LaGuardia is one of them, but you can see the towers from that. We were in the windows of the world restaurant up on the 120th floor in one of the Whoa. towers on the, on the eighth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, weird shit just played out. And for whatever reason on the morning of the 10th, I'm up all night and just listening. I'm like, that's fucking weird. Why would he say that? And then he kept talking about it and updates were coming. And I was just like, all right, I need to go see if this is legit. So you know what? Go outside. I'm going to interrupt you with one yeah. thing real fast. So it's interesting that you're talking about, like you're hearing him talk about that, mm. how much from a media consumption perspective, we were still reliant on turning on your television and sitting yeah. and watching like the nightly news or a newspaper that came off of the shelf. Like it was yep. so different to give perspective because a lot of my audience is super young. And I yeah. think in their minds, like it's, even though they probably that's maybe their first major event in the world, they don't understand. Like it was unbelievable to most of us that that was taking place. Like it, yeah. it was just, 
And there wasn't quick minute by minute apps no. updates, like where Twitter's just feeding you information constantly. It wasn't like that at all. No. So I went out to the, to the living room and I turned on, uh, I don't know, it was, it was probably CNN or something. And as like a minute or two of me sitting there watching like, Oh shit, this is really going on. The second plane hit. And then wow. I was just like, fuck. Yeah. And at that point I was like, well, I definitely don't want to go back to school. Um, I think a few, two or three days later, uh, I hung out with a buddy of mine who he'd already joined the reserves and his friend, his roommate who was in the reserves as well. And they were up at the university of Florida. So I was up in Gainesville hanging out with them. And I remember Chris was like, yeah, I got a $5,000 bonus and all this shit. I was like, what? Fucking army. That sounds all right. Get that so <laughs> it was like a week after 9-11. I mean, you lived through it as well. So you just know, like things were just different. And I just remember, it's like, all right, I don't want to miss out on whatever's going on. So I went into the recruiter's office and I was like, let's go. I want to do this. They're like, great. However, you're like 18 pounds over, bro. You don't, you're you not doing anything until you lose the weight. Right. I was like, fuck. I'd be in shape for this? Like, <laughs> and I just like, I hadn't done shit like for a year really other than just baseball practice. So I was just like, yeah. all right. So I did, like, I was actually serious about something for the first time in my life. And so I went and I took me three months. I lost 18 pounds, went to the recruiter in January of 02. I was like, all right, let's do this. So I go do the ASVAB, crush that. Like you do whatever you want. I'm like, great. Well, the only thing I really had an interest in, because I didn't know anything about the military. I didn't know anything. My grandfather was in it. He was a combat engineer. My friend that I told you I hung out was a combat engineer. That didn't sound interesting to me. I only, like, through all my little military stories, movies, and stuff, I wanted. I either wanted to be a pilot like Top Gun, <laughs> or I wanted to do intel, because intelligence seemed like really cool shit at the time, right? Sure. It always seemed like they were like, doing secrets and, and stuff like that. And so I remember my recruiter, I still talk to him to this day and I've told him, you know, I wish you would have told me something different. <laughs> now he's like, he's like a, he's a special agent in CID and all like, he's a really good dude. I like him. He was somebody I tried to, as I was more in to the army and realized I was kind of where I was, I needed to just make the best of it and follow that path. So I remember sitting with him and this other recruiter who had the MOS I ended up taking. And I said, I want to do Intel and I want to leave as soon as possible. And so what I didn't know and what I did learn eventually when I was, you know, the circle we talked about comes back around and I was in the recruiting world. It's like, they were kind of right, but right. <laughs> so you remember, so this is January of 02. I'm like, I just want to do Intel. And they're like, all right, here's all the Intel jobs. Which one do you want to do? And I, I looked at like some cryptic analyst i don't even fucking remember what it was back then and I'm like all right well that leaves in november I'm like, i can't fucking hang out here for november like i need to go <laughs> do so i'm not going back to school like what the fuck am i gonna do for 11 months right yeah My parents don't want me there like i there was no real you're gonna option. go to monterey california and you're gonna learn arabic no, there was nothing there was nothing like my parents like it's like look you fucked up school twice no you need to get the fuck out yeah right? and so i understood that i respected that right but also I couldn't, I like, I didn't know what I was going to do for 11 months. I'm like, what leaves immediately? 71 Lima, which is an MOS that doesn't exist anymore. What that essentially 71 Lima is, it's fucking admin. <laughs> but the reserve unit they put me in 
in Orlando because that was the other thing. Like I, like there's no, the only other unit was my buddy's combat engineer unit four hours away in Ocala or wherever the fuck it was. And so I was like, well, I'm, I had, there was no openings for that either for like six, seven months. And I didn't want to be a combat engineer. I just needed to leave. So they put me in a unit in Orlando, Florida, and it ended up like they didn't do the admin piece of it. They did an, an additional skill identifier, an ASI called Fox Forge. They did postal operations, right? And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I'm at Fort Jackson learning like, first I go to Fort Jackson, right? I leave and I go in April of 02. So I like enlist on January 30th, 2002. I'm in, I got three months to kill. I'm like, mom, dad, please don't kick me out for three months. And they're like, all right, all right, don't fuck up the army. I was like, all right, I won't. So I go to the army, I crush it. I love basic training. I love everything about the army. I start meeting all these other dudes who are doing other jobs. And I'm like, what the fuck? How do I get top my I'm like, decision. how do I get out? How do I start learning about airborne? I didn't like, I didn't learn anything. I just like, I'm just, I just want to go fine. If that's the unit that's in Orlando. Great. Cause I, you know, I, and I went to the reserves cause I was just in my mind. I'm like, I don't really want to go active duty. Right? right. So that's, let me preface all that. I didn't want to go active duty at the time. I, I was just, in hindsight, I just, I, I wanted everything without, I wanted it easier than you I needed. You wanted instant gratification is what you wanted. Probably, probably, yeah. right? So then I'm in, I'm in basic training. I'm loving it. I love doing all this cool soldier shit. I'm learning. I see all these other dudes who've got airborne in their contract going and doing airborne PT once a week. I'm like, how, sorry, how do I go do that? They're like, well, you could have not went reserves, fucking idiot. You can't. <laughs> like, all right, that's cool. All right. So anyway, I finished base training, go to AIT, crushed that. I, I, you know, fucking distinguished honor grad, all this stuff. Like I, I did really, really well because I was trying. All right. Sure. Then I go do the Fox five, the Fox five, Fox five, Fox four is the supervisor. Fox five is the identifier for the postal operations shit. I was like, this really is the fucking mail. <laughs> and I'm with all the other services. Cause it's like a joint school at Fort Jackson. I'm with all, right. like, learning every possible thing about postal operations for five weeks. Like I can break like how to set up routes, all the, like everything you think about with the fucking mail. I'm like, this isn't the fucking army. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm doing this shit? What the hell? All right. Now what I did learn as soon as I came back from my AIT is that because postal units in the United States, they don't have a stateside mission because the actual USPS does that. The only They're way it's deployed. The, oh, no, well, all of our annual trainings were overseas. Right. So my first one is Korea, December 2002. And again, so we were at uh, Camp Hovey, which I don't think even exists anymore, and uh, Camp Casey in Korea. And it's fucking December 8th through the 22nd we're there. So I turned 21 while I'm over there, which is great. And... Uh, it's like three degrees and snowing. They're every morning they're doing like chemical attack drills, and it's you're, it's just cold. Like I remember going down to the CQ desk in the morning where they used to still have this stuff, and they'd write the weather up every day, and it was like negative eight. Right. What the fuck, man? So anyway, like I start actually doing the job, and the job is like we really drive from camp to camp, unload and load fucking mail. <laughs> I guess hard work. I'm like, this like bags of mail. I'm like, all right, right. Okay. Whatever. At least it's physical. This is kind of fun. I'm like talking to my squad leader. I'm like, how do, is there any way to do like a different job in the army? Uh, and they're like, yeah, once your, your contract's up or when you're in your reenlistment window, you can go do that shit then. I was like, fuck. So I'm really doing this shit. All right. 
Well, anyway, we're in the airport coming back in December. We're in the Tokyo airport. And uh, my first sergeant, or no, my platoon sergeant and the commander call back to our unit and we get alerted. And they come and talk to us and said, we've been alerted. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, when you get alerted in the reserves, that means you're on notice to be called on to active duty. It's like, oh, well, that's good timing because I didn't know what the fuck <laughs> I was going to do anyway after I got back. And it was just like, because now I'm in the army and I'm in the reserves and I'm only doing this shit once a month. And my parents are still looking at me like, you still live here? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> and so sure enough, we get to go play in Iraq for the invasion, right? So what this is where, you know, my army career takes a better turn. And, um, oh, I thought you were going to tell me like you handled the mail going back and forth to FOBs. Like I was getting ready well, to That's laugh. where we're going. That's where we're going, right? <laughs> because now you got to remember. So the invasion happened, blah, blah, blah. We're in, you know, we, we, we end up in the Baghdad airport. And this was the best part. It's like, man, I, there's so many stories I could tell you just to, to, <laughs> the journey from landing in Kuwait and trying to get up into Baghdad. I mean, I mean that's, that's another story. Anyway, let me let me stay on the focus on this one with the whole like your army career thing, right? So I, we get there and there's nothing. You know, there's no infrastructure in place. Obviously, like you're literally opening a theater. And as I learned throughout my career, as I progressed, moved up, and started getting into the strategic world and how this planning stuff goes and how it filters down to the le the operational level where we were. Yeah, it was us and three other postal companies. And it was just like, hey, we need you guys to figure out the supply routes for the postal. All right. So that was essentially what we did for the first few months is we came up with every single MSR and supply MSRs or military supply routes and how to actually get to every FOB throughout the Baghdad area of operations. For people listening, a FOB is a forward operating, forward operating base. base. So it's like yeah. the bases that are set up in the foreign countries. Yeah. We well, and we were the main base was Baya, Baghdad International Airport. That's where 3rd Infantry Division was coalesced because they were sitting around doing fucking nothing, waiting because they were told they were going to go home. We were all told, yeah, you'll all be home before Christmas. And you know how that worked out. With the sure. Um, 20 years yeah, later. <laughs> the, first, the first, so this was, was crazy because, like I said, this was a very physical work type of job if you weren't actually doing the convoys that day. So I just remember being in the Baghdad airport. You know that guy, General Hurtling? He's on. Yes. So this dude, a great story about him. But anyway, so we're at the Baghdad International <laughs> Airport. right? <laughs> and uh, all of the – because here's what 3rd ID did, and they got a lot of commanders relieved because of this. What 3rd Infantry Division did is because whether people like to know this or not, you can't stop the mail. Right. So everything that was coming to Kuwait while they were there, because the third idea had been staged in Kuwait for six months waiting for this invasion to start. And the invasion started. All their commanders were like, nah, we're not taking that shit. And they just left it in Kuwait. And wow. so then once we got everything secure. We started setting up supply routes. We're like, all right. All these connexes of mail, 40-foot connexes of mail started showing up. They were backlogged for six, seven months of stuff that they just like, nah, we're not taking that shit with us. So if you weren't actually out on a convoy that day, it was 12 hours of just unloading and loading mail every single day. I lost 38 pounds before I went on leave. I was going to say that's brutal. It was great. Oh, I got shredded. It was awesome. But <laughs> the, 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 the shitty part of this is what, if anyone realizes where I'm going with this story, is that what was the big target 
after the war. It was convoys. Right. And at least once or twice a week, the male convoys were getting hit. And it was sad. It, yeah. And because that's not your combat, guys. That's the guys who. Well, you also got to remember, like, and, and I learned this, especially when I became a drill sergeant years later and we started training our guys for us. Like, you know, our train up for us specifically, we, we, we trained at Fort Stewart for about a month before we actually left. We got a crash course in how to be on a convoy, how to drive it, and basic react to contact stuff from these two E5 Rangers. I remember them. And my squad leader, or no, my platoon sergeant was an E7. And this dude was way over his head. Like when it was time to do the actual combat, react to contact shit, like all of us were kind of fine, myself included, because we were all E3s, E2s, private, stress, fresh out of basic training. Like we've done some of this stuff. So it was, it was kind of cool. And I just remember these E5s just beating this dude up in the head. Like, you're going to get every one of your fucking soldiers killed because you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. But they, and, and he didn't dare say anything back to him because he was kind of right. Yeah. You know, like these dudes that just came from Afghanistan. They'd been in Afghanistan as Rangers before this whole shit started with, you know, Iraq. And um, so a lot of that stuff, it really started to click for me and like, and took it, it, it started to hit home. Right. And, you know, we had several convoys get hit. Uh, had a buddy who was on one like three days before, three days before we, I went out again for one of the times and they got hit so bad that he ended up getting a fucking bronze star for just saving the fuck. He saved the fucking burning truck of mail. That dude went under fire. A, ah. a, a four door Humvee was on fire with the mail in it. That fucker ran to it getting shot at and pulled the mail out back to his truck and got a bronze star for it. Wow. It's fucking wild. Like some of the stuff that, that, that went on with those convoys, like, and it was at that point, it was every day. You know, it was every fucking day. So I'm going to ask a girly question real yeah, fast. Girly questions are great. So how rewarding was that to be involved with the connection for those troops with their home life? Like that had to, at, at the base core level, and maybe you've never even thought about it. The fact that. No, yeah, I've thought about it at this point. Like creating those routes. Yeah. making it possible for those people to be connected with the people back home. Well, because again, I'm going to go back to this point about like what that time was like for people. Yeah. It was, yes, there was internet, but it wasn't great. Like no, it, no, no, it no, wasn't. I, I, I've talked about that as well. Like this was still, cause I've deployed multiple times right throughout. Yeah. This years. was still care package days where care you package were and handwritten letters. Like I got yeah. broken up and I got broken up with, with a fucking girlfriend with a handwritten letter, like two days before she's telling me all the things about how much she loves me. And then two days later, get another low and it's like the breakup. <laughs> and I remember running across the fucking fob, just trying to find someone with a satellite phone so I could call back home. Like shit. You right. wouldn't even have to worry about today. Cause you used to like, Oh, I'll just FaceTime and figure out yep. no handwritten letters. Like you said, care packages and everything. I remember it was, this was a, it was very early in December and I, and I was, things had calmed down a bit in terms of the load, the backlog of it, but it was still like, you know, six days a week, seven, 12 hours a day, whatever, just physical shit. And it was, uh, it was kind of fun. Um, but I remember there was a package for some dude in third ID. And at this point they had already left and it was from December of 2002. Holy shit. So it was over a year old and he never got it. A wow. because Third ID commanders left everything sure. in Kuwait. But B, you got to remember, like, we at that point in time, at that December of 2003, 
we had only caught up to the point where Mel was about two and a half weeks old. So Stars and Stripes, for example, the, the newspaper that we would get for the services. Sure. If it was December of 2003, we were reading early to mid-Novembers because everything was just that far behind. It's right. here's, here's my favorite story about 2003 in Iraq. So two of these things tie in together. So it's, it's May of 2003, all right? And myself and my, my team leader, Sergeant Ocasio, he's, he's one of my, my dearest friends. He was kind of my mentor. Um, we were on gate guard at an ECP, which is an entry control point, coming into the Baghdad airport. Uh, it was like middle of the day and it's like early May. And uh, he was an AFES guy, which is the, the, the post exchange people, all the people who set up all this shit. And, you know, there's, of course, there's nothing there because third ID would just, they had nothing to do. They would just line up in their little recliner chairs and, and wait for the PX to open every day. And they would just raid it. And, and right. we would never get to go there because we had to go fucking work every day. Right. We never got anything. And I just remember like, he's like, well, what do you guys want? I'm like, dude, I just want black and miles. <laughs> I just wanted black and miles at that time. And uh, do you still smoke? My, no, not at all. Um, I'll smoke a cigar once in a while, but no, I don't smoke. And so my, my buddy, Sarnakasi, is like, dude, I want some real fucking food. I'm tired of eating MREs. <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, no worries. You'll have a Burger King by the end of the month. And he drove off. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and in our heads, we're both like, this motherfucker thinks I'm playing. Like, I'm not, I really don't want MREs anymore. And right. He wasn't lying. We yeah. had a Burger King at the end of that month. And it opened like, I don't know, end of May, early June. And it was a big ass deal for the 4th of July in 2003 because it's big USO tour, Kid Rock, all the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders are there. I remember going to Burger King on that day because we we actually had it all. We, there was no combo. Nothing was going on on the 4th of July in 2003. Unless you were probably some SF dude and you were doing some shit. That wasn't me. So we went to Burger King, the line. And we sat in that line for four and a half hours. <laughs> just watching it snake. Like, this wasn't like, oh, Burger King's half a mile up the road. You're just like, like no, this was... You know, just a just a snake effect, and we're just standing there for four and a half hours, going through camelback <laughs> like after camelback of water. We're sending dudes to go back line. to their little like because we were living in this little like warehouse building on the Baghdad airport. Like, go back and get more water. We need more water because it's Fourth of July in Iraq and Baghdad. All right, it's fucking hot. Right. And so we finally get up there, and uh, yeah. Four and a half hours for Burger King. Now, the best part of this story is that a month later, the insurgency had started to pick up in terms of the convoys that they were hitting. And so all the meat, everything that came into this Burger King, which if you actually go back and look through the Stars and Stripes, the most busiest Burger King in the world in 2003 was the one that was on the Baghdad International Airport. And so it got so bad with the convoys getting hit that like there was no meat. Nothing was getting shipped up from Kuwait. They halted the shipments for like two weeks. The only thing they had were fries. We would still, at the end of the day, because Burger King stayed open till like nine o'clock at night, we would go and just wait in the line an hour for fries. An hour for fucking French fries. Because there was, they still didn't open the defect. The, def the Bob Hope dining facility opened in like September. So you got to remember, so it was either MKTs, which are mobile kitchen tents, because the cooks would cook these little things for people, MREs, or Burger King. 
So what are you gonna pick? Twice a day, I would go to Burger King. Yeah. And I know this sounds stupid, but it's it's true. If I wasn't me waiting in line, it was one of our buddies going, and I every day for like three months until they opened the dining facility. Because we yeah. were just over MREs at that point. Yeah. We've been eating MREs for six months. Like it was, it was okay, so on the 4th of July, you waited four hours. Four and, a half, four and a half hours, yep. Tell me how great that Burger King tasted. Like, was it like the greatest thing you've ever put in your mouth so in you that moment? Right, all right. So I already told you I lost 38 pounds, right? Yeah. Um, probably it really made you sick at your stomach. Oh, not at all. No, because, well, here's why. So the only other thing that was cool is <laughs> our commander – came out with us and we went and did a convoy in like, I want to say sometime in late May to downtown Baghdad. And you remember, so downtown, downtown Baghdad, pre-Saddam and then post-Saddam, like within a week was a vastly different fucking place. Right. It went from total restriction to overnight. You got dudes selling satellite dishes yeah. and fucking cell phones and all this shit that just didn't exist. Yeah. And so, we didn't really have anything other than just the physical bullshit we were doing at work or going out on these convoys or just standing at a gate and just pulling guard duty for, you know, 12 hours as well. Right. As all this rotated around. And so our commander's like, all right, we got the impact card. We're going to go get some, we're going to go get some fucking gym equipment. And we're like, sir, they're not going to take fucking credit card. To just they're not gonna take a fucking credit. Like our first time was like, just, they're not gonna take a credit card. He's like, well, I need. Well, fine. We're, all right, I'm gonna go to this. I'm gonna go to the, the battalion commander. I'm gonna get money. All right, okay. He went and got like five thousand dollars for us to go buy gym equipment. Holy shit! Which <laughs> was there an accounting? <laughs> was there a receipts that you were expecting here? I know I was at E4. I don't know what the hell was going on at the time. I was just like, <laughs> all I know is we went downtown to Baghdad and we got the most janky gym equipment you could ever fucking find. We got all this stuff and we 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 loaded up the fucking deuce and a half with gym equipment with weights, all this dumb shit. We go and set it up in this little tent and we had it set up for three weeks before first armor division. I just came in at this point and replaced third ID. So they were in this transition but they showed up with the real money and built a real fucking gym. And we're like, man, we went through all that shit. Just, and now we got a real gym. So it was great. So now we're working out. So like I said, lose 38 pounds, get a gym. I ended up gaining like 12 before I ended up leaving. But what I would eat every time I went to Burger King was two double Whoppers with cheese and four orders of fries. Now I just wouldn't eat the bread off the, the bread. I just eat the fucking burgers and the fries and drink four Diet Cokes. You know, wow. when you're 21, you can pull this off and you just get sure. great. It's 115 degrees every day. You're just walking around. If you're on a convoy, it's hot. You're doing some stupid patrol shit around the base. You're at a guard or you're just doing physical labor 12 hours a day. So when you're 21, it's great. <laughs> it's great. I love, I love every minute. I wouldn't give back any of it except for the fact that I just hated the fact that we got extended six times. <laughs> we got the next six times and the worst was you know the, the worst of it was our last trip when we were convoying out of baghdad uh Sadr's army if anyone remembers muqtada al-sadr who ended up becoming the fucking president of iraq is the full circle on that bullshit right. well his army was one of the militia leaders at the time and uh we were being escorted out of baghdad with a with an mp battalion from first army division and got lit the fuck up 
just got absolutely lit up. We had a, a, a halt that was supposed to be for a day that turned into a week. Uh, they got turned around and sent back to Baghdad because the route behind us had gotten so bad with all the other people following that they needed to go get back into that. And we were able, fortunately, to continue the route home through Camp Cedar 2, which is just north of Kuwait on the Iraqi border. And that was after 15 months of being there in 03. Wow. Which, like I said, if you go back to the way it started, oh, you'll be home before Christmas. Right. I mean, we caught Saddam on like the 13th or 15th of December and our platoon sergeant called us all together. And he's like, we got him. We got that bastard. And we're like, yeah, we're going fucking home. Right. He's like, I don't know more to follow. And then sure enough, it was like Christmas Eve. We get this Intel report that, you know, the Baghdad airport's getting overrun. We spent Christmas Eve in all these ECP positions and fighting positions. I got this dumbass picture. I was like, Hey, take a picture of me behind the saw. Cause they're supposed to come over this wall outside the Baghdad airport. I'm just like, I got so many dumb fucking pictures from 03. Like I just really got to go pull them off that hard drive. But yeah, I remember that. I was just like, and the attack never came, but it was just like, I guess we're definitely not going home for Christmas. (laughs) That stuff just continued every other week. It was something the insurgency had picked up. Uh, One of my friends, specialist Vega was on the helicopter that got shot down. I found out about coming back from leave in 03 in November. So that stuff started to get, it started to hit home at that point. Like we were really starting to lose people. Yeah. Uh, and then that being the first person I knew. Um, yeah, like that, that, that whole leave thing, like that was crazy as well. Like I was on the third flight out of Baghdad, October 15th of 2003. We came back through Baltimore International. And man, you walked off that plane. It felt like the fucking, you won the Super Bowl. Like people yeah. were going crazy and nuts and all this shit. And yeah, November 2nd, I think is when that happened. I was flying back November 3rd. I found out about that on, in the airport in Orlando, flying back. And then I landed is when uh, Sergeant Resto, she was another one of our, uh, she was a platoon sergeant, I think, for her out of this unit in Puerto Rico. And it's like, yeah, Vega was on that that helicopter that got hit. I was like, what the fuck? So that was kind of when shit, shit started to get a little bit more real. Yeah. And then, like I said, I mean, we got extended four more times after that. So it just progressively got worse. And I've ranted on the cause and all that stuff many, many times as I've gotten older and learned more about it. But like I said, when you're 21, 22 years old, you don't think about any of that shit. You're just like, whatever. So like today, looking back in hindsight, I know you said something about like your daughter isn't going to follow in your footsteps. She's she's actually going to try and stuff like that. But like if you had a son, would you encourage him to join the military? Um, if he did, I would never tell him to. Um, I wouldn't ever tell him not to. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't discourage him. I would lead him to a very different path because again, I didn't have any, I didn't know anything. I didn't, I, there's a ton of routes. As you see, my, my cat Frank is making an appearance. Um, I would be able to, to actually sit him down and, and tell him every possible route and path to what exactly it is he wants to do and, and yank that actually out of him. Yeah. Like, what do you actually, why do you want to join the fucking army? Why? Right. What is it you need it for? What do you want to do? Okay. Here's what you should do. Here's how you can do it. Cause now I know everything. Like I know every fucking program. I know every path, everything. Um, and I went the hard route on all this stuff. I told you like, I all once I was in air, or basic training and I'm seeing all these dudes do airborne PT. I was like, all I want to do is be airborne. I was like, oh, you're in the fucking reserves. You can't. And then, you know, I, like I said, I, I chased kind of what my recruiter did and he was a drill sergeant before he was a recruiter, which ironically, so was I. And so I followed that path to be right. a drill sergeant. And 
while I was at Fort Benning as a drill sergeant, I got to go to airborne school, but I was already a fucking E6. And so like I, everything I ended up wanting to do in the army, I found out after I was already in, Right. I chased after it and went and did it because there are paths to do everything. You just have to be willing to do it. And I would not subject my son to the long route if I could give him the actual path to it. I'm actually still in contact with one of these dudes. I just, he was the last dude I put in. He's following the SF path. He, he's having some setbacks right now, but I kind of look at him like, all right, he's my like mentoring project on, and I hate to use the word project, but it's like, I can see him getting frustrated with things and I'm trying to keep him on the right path because right. I, I know what he should do. That's best for him. And I just need to get him to, to realize those things. And so when it, you, when you asked me if I had a son, he's kind of how I look at it at this point. Sure. But no, I, I, um, I mean, that's kind of the issue with a lot of this. There's a lot of people like me who don't want their kids involved in the, in the military right now. And it's hard to blame them. And then that filters into all the other shit because it's very different joining because of a, a 9-11 and we don't have that anymore. Right. And when we go back in hindsight, we really we find, didn't have it before, but we, well, we find out in hindsight what, what, what actually came out of that. Right. right. So then that, that, that gets into the question was well, what the fuck did I do it all for? Right. But I can't, I mean, everything I did has led me to where I'm at and I, I, sure. I want to give that stuff back. Right. I yep. want to give back those experiences for anything. So you had a, a long career. How long were you in? 21 years. And I want to be careful about how I ask this because I oh, know that you to be good. started a new job. So I just want to like make sure that I don't want to. What made you decide to get out? Like oh, I. That's easy. What was I doing before this? Playing baseball? No, I was, I was in recruiting. Oh, I see what I you mean. Over. Okay, like, I, I got over. you. Again, I right? didn't think you meant like within the army. I thought you meant before no, the army. Why. That's yeah. why. And the only reason I did it is I joined, like I said, I joined the AGR program. And I, the only reason I did that is because I wanted to get my master's degree. And I never wanted to do the, because again, you got to remember, when I go back in time, I, and it, you probably could pick up on this if you listen to this point, I didn't go back to duty. But just the way the world was, if you were a reservist or you were National Guard, it didn't really matter. You were going one way or the other. So there was no traditional reserve for a very, like most of the 2000s because right. everyone was constantly deploying. Like if you weren't active on a constant, you know, you had dwell time of 15 months, sometimes less when people were going again. Like you had multiple deployments. Nobody was really not going or not training or not getting deployed or, or not doing a mobilization in the reserves or guard. You were always kind of on active duty or there were opportunities to do it. And I always sought them out because I loved the fucking army. It was great. Like I loved that. The only thing that remotely came close to a sports or a baseball locker room for me was being in the military. Right. Cause it's your dudes and you just sit there and you fuck with each other and you make fun of each other. And then when it's time to go do your job or your mission or whatever that day, you go do it. And then you come back and you pick up where you left off, which was just like baseball to me. Right. You sit in the locker room, talk shit, go out and play the game. The other team's your fucking enemy. You just want to beat them that day. If they fuck with your boys. You talk shit back or you fuck with them back. But then once you get in the, after the game's over, all right, now we're back in the locker room talking shit again to each other. Right. And that was what the army was to me. Like the best eight weeks of my life, which I've wrote all this shit down. And at some point I'll figure it out and finalize it and, and do what I really want to do with it was drill sergeant school. 
It was the greatest eight weeks of my fucking life in terms of the military. It was the most fun I've ever had. It had the, 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 the most ironic shit that took place. Like the stories that came out of that are just, they're epic. And this was going on 14 years ago. Right. And I still remember it like it just happened. Yeah. I still talk to these fucking people. Yep. You know, it's just stuff like that that's in the army that you'll never give up. And I don't think there's anything outside of sports that can create those types of memories or bonds create those, yeah, those bonds yeah. where you just, it's like high school is different, right? Everyone comes from the area, but college is, is, is also different because now you're coming from all over the country, sometimes all over the state, whatever. Right. And then that's how the military is. It but you don't have a common purpose, whereas in the military, you oh, do. common purpose is to fucking win games. Right. No, no, no. I meant in college. College. Is, is, the purpose is to be the best fucking team you can be. That's your purpose. Where that's why I said it translates into. Oh, the you meant baseball. I, I was talking about college. Oh, no, yeah, I'm talking about like because yeah. I wouldn't say it replicates college at all. I mean, I get it. People make friends with people they never would unless they get. But I'm talking about from the sports side of it. Where I understand you and thirty dudes in a locker room. That's probably the closest. Moment. Yeah, and I know how much you love being a baseball mom. So yeah, it's so know. awesome. <laughs> but yeah, that was the only thing that that ever came close to it. So I want to talk about recruitment a little bit. It's down yeah, really which is bad. Why I left the army. Right. Talk to me about what that struggle was like for you trying to meet numbers and or if you can. I, I know some of yeah, this no, stuff is I gonna mean, be off the table, yeah. but no, I, I mean that stuff. Well, I, I and and I would never hold this back. And and I've said it to enough people. And I think there's enough, because there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good soldiers, a lot of good leaders in USAREC, which is recruiting command. The problem with the recruiting command and what I always juxtapose it with is the 82nd Airborne Division, where people are just a thousand percent bought in. They're, they're fucking Kool-Aid to the end of the fucking world. They're almost like, the only thing I would equated to is the Marines. Marines love them fucking selves just as much as the 82nd does. Sure. Well, I've, it, it, the recruiting world is the exact opposite. And it's a well-earned reputation of negativity and just low expectations. And, and the, the first time I ever encountered a toxic environment was that. And I, I've said this to plenty of people. I've said it in my out, you know, whatever exit interview, whatever the hell you want to call it. I've said it to everyone in there. It's like, what, what is, what do people have in common when they leave and what do they have in common with when they get here? And I always talk to one of my, I won't say his name, but when I sat down as a station commander and I had my last recruiter come to me, I did his little initial counseling, gave him the expectations, all this stuff. I asked him, Hey, do you have any questions for me? His first question to me was if I don't put someone in, am I going to get kicked out? That's what he came into recruiting with. Because he's been told and fed all these things from other people who've came out of recruiting and gone back to the world that he was in. And they all leave with the same negative aspect. It's like, if you don't put people in, they're going to kick you out. And that's what they threaten you with. Right. Right. It's, 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 it's leadership by threat. It's what I call it, which is the most unproductive form Worst of any leadership. leadership. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It doesn't produce results. All it does is produce fear and, and, and bad performance, in my opinion. And I would always say this is like, okay, now go ask someone in the 82nd what they think about the 82nd Airborne Division. And they'll fucking go on and on and on about how it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, and if yeah. you ain't airborne, you ain't shit and all this stuff. Right. Do you think anyone in recruiting has that opinion? 
No. <laughs> it's probably a very, 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 very small opinion of them. And those are also the ones that, in my opinion, tend to be the problem because they become career recruiters. They, they, they convert and, and stay in that career field forever and they rise up and they bring all their negative, toxic environment, you know, behavior with them throughout the years. And it just filters well, I think down. There's also a negative incentive to that. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. I want you to finish your thought first before I tell you what I was getting. Yeah. Um, so is, is for me. So again, when I entered the AGR program, my job was to specifically recruit for the reserves, which is what AGR recruiters are supposed to do. And it doesn't work out that way. You get, you know, that's what they tell you. And then you get out there and you have to do everything. And so I, um, was in recruiting school in 2016 and it was my time to go into the office and be like, Hey, where do you want to go? And so the army does everything off of demographics, right? So of course I'm from Orlando, Florida. I'm like, I want to go to Orlando, Florida. Well, guess what? You don't speak Spanish. So you're not going there. What else? Well, I had friends and family in the DC area. I'm like, I want to go to DC. They're like, Oh, well you're not black. So you're not going there. And then my third choice was California. Cause my brother lived in Southern California. They're like, all right. How about Roseville, California? I was like, never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, one of the one of my one of my buddies in recruiting school was because I that's what I chose. I was like, all right, it's in California. I guess I'm going there. And, and he was actually from Folsom, which was like 10 minutes away. And he's like, oh, you'll love Roseville. And I ended up I, I did. But the problem with with uh, that part of the, the country in California, A <laughs> in California, uh, and B, this is a very affluent area. And they don't really need the military, right? right. So you have to, you, your, your pitch is completely different, right? You're, you're, you're pitching excitement. You're pitching a chance to like go out on your own, not rely or on your family. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the first year, hold on, Frank. First year I sucked. I really did. Like I put three people in in the first year. I got threatened with every possible thing you could think of. Oh, you're a fucking shit bag. We're going to kick you out. You only get a year as a fucking trial and all this stuff. Right. And it's like, and so, yeah, I bought into all that stuff. And then, you know, second and third year, I was, you know, top recruiter in the company. You know, I was, I fucking killed it because I figured it out. But no one taught me. Like, there was no mentoring. There was no, here's how you do this. There was none of that. Because, yeah. I mean, and I had a great office. Don't get me wrong. But they were all under the same fucking coercion of threat as well. So it, it just, it just was what it was. And my station commander who ended up, being a first sergeant and he's a great dude. I love him, but he didn't, he was on his way out at the time. So I didn't really get a chance to, to work with him. And I wish I could have. Um, and so then the new guy that came in was an absolute, like just a total abject failure, like not a leader, not someone that you could learn from. And it's just, um, so yeah, it was me and a few others. I just kind of had to figure it out. And then at the time I said, I wanted to get my master's. So I did. And I got my master's at the end of 2018 and I was like, all right, I'm done. I'm ready to go back and get a real fucking job and, and I'm done with this shit. Right. But I liked California. I liked where I was. Uh, and so it was my year to decide whether I was going to get out or go back. And I was like, I just want to go. And they're like, well, you're really, really good at this. And we'd love to right. have you take a station commander position and be the only a bit of guilt. Yeah. The only reserve station commander position in the battalion, which is true. Like, the fucking irony. You're, we're, you're under constant threat of being removed because you didn't yep. do enough. And then, oh, but please stay because you're getting, you're so good at this. 
And uh, so, yeah, the one of 30, I think, five station commander positions in the NorCal recruiting battalion at the time was in Benicia, California. And I was like, I don't know where the fuck that's at. I think I drive by when I go to San Francisco to go watch a Giants game. But it was a chance to give me three more years in California. I was like, fine. It's a leadership position. This will look good when I leave and, I, and sure. I go on to other greater things, right? That was August of 2019. And I go to Venetia, and what do you know? Venetia is the top medium recruiting station in all of Usarac. This is a great recruiting station. This is perfect. Wow. Right in Venetia, which is really what they really meant was Vallejo. And so here, let me explain the Venetia diet, uh, demographics. So Vallejo, California, for those who don't know, is probably the fifth most violent city in all of California. And then 10 minutes to the east is Venetia, California, which is the exact opposite. And it's just everything you could possibly think of in terms of the American dream and Americana and, you know, General Grant, when he was a young captain, was actually stationed there and built the first gardens. And it was actually the capital of California for like a year in the 1860s. And it was amazing. It's a beautiful area, 10 minutes apart. I mean, I don't think wow. you could find it, right? And again, Vallejo, those students or that recruiting population Loved to join the military. Would do nothing. Would they got three ways out in that city for the most part? Become a rapper or musician, play a sport, join the military. And the problem is most of them can't do either because they, right. they weren't. They 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 had such a trouble, you know, qualifying on the ASVAB, and they're right. just a product of their school system. And then we would we would be in those schools. But Eric, the there's a waiver place. for that. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Uh, and then you'd go to Benicia, the exact opposite, right? So great school, no problem passing the, the ASVAB and anything. But it was a lot of the same issues that we ran into in Roseville. It was like, these kids don't need this stuff. Right. And what they did, so in that part of the country or in that part of the state, what these kids really end up wanting to do is the Air Force because that's what they see. They got Travis Air Force Base. They got all the Air Force right. bases and the Navy is in San Francisco. So they don't really have a good... There's not a great army presence in California. The only thing that's really there is Fort Irwin, which is the national training center where everyone goes before they deploy to train. So California is pretty much relegated to Marines and the air force and the Navy. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what they see. Um, but the problem was walking into the top recruiting station, mid, medium size in the army. Uh, what happened in early 2020? The election. COVID. Oh, okay. Early 2020. <laughs> yeah, early. Yes. So yeah, March of 2020, Solano County, which is where Benicia was, first county in California to, to absolutely close 100%. Nothing's open. So I sent all the recruiters home. I was like, let's go home and you know, more to follow once I get information. Right. Sure. My battalion commander calls me and he's like, Sergeant Ski, why'd you close your recruiting station? Well, sir. Whole county's closed. There's no opportunities for face to face. There's nothing that we can't go to a school. We can't go to, we can't do anything. It's like, oh, okay. Three days later, he shut the whole battalion down. The whole battalion stretches from Bakersfield, California, up to the eastern part of Nevada and southern portions of, of Oregon. And this is the management position that you just took to oversee yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was the next few years of my life was dealing with the COVID restrictions, being in the state of California and no access to schools, nothing, just having to reinvent 
actually reinvent the wheel for real when it came to recruiting and going literally to 100% virtual recruiting. And God. as far as I know, it still really hasn't recovered. Um, but that just fed into all the other recruiting issues nationwide. I mean, sure. so much came out of 2020 that just affected all of recruiting, not just the Army, but the Army is the one that gets the brunt of it because we have the largest requirement, right? Sure. The force of all of them. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a million ways you can take the issues facing recruiting in, and I'll leave that to you since yeah. it's your show. <laughs> so I think I, I want to ask you, uh, like one of the things that's talked about a lot yeah. is that the military has gone woke yeah. and people don't want to go to the military that's woke. Yeah. And so I guess maybe I'd, I'm curious to hear, as you just got out, I'm curious to hear your perspective on that. Would, would you say, I mean, I would, I would not agree with that assessment. I would say that the leadership has gone woke, but not that the military has. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say there's a, a it's, it's a, you know, like I said, 21 years is a definitely a noticeable shift. But again, I have to be honest and reduce that to what did I know? What did I see at my sure. 21 year old? I'm a private level. I don't have connection to anything. Like I came in where we still didn't like we trained for drill. There was no yeah. fucking computers. Like there was no sit on your email and do all that shit. It's like you, right. the only reason you were inside at all was either because the first sergeant needed to see you about something or you better be making an appointment for some school that the training NCO was going to book for you. Other than that, you and your squad and team and platoon and all that need to be out training. Right. Not hundred percent different. Now everyone's just handcuffed to a fucking computer and just yelling at each other through emails. But um, I would say from that perspective, in terms of the, you know, the training, the online stuff that like do this, do all this scrap it's hard for me to say a lot of it is, is bad when I talk about like sharp training, right. Which is your sexual harassment, all that stuff and rape prevention. Those, those right. things are important. Um, the cyber awareness stuff is silly. Uh, but it, when it comes to the other stuff that we're seeing getting pushed now, that is totally leadership driven. That's not the soldiers coming in and demanding this stuff. Right. This, this is coming from a top down perspective. And, you know, what you say, what did I just go back to recruiting? You know, most of the kids or the recruiting age population have no idea what those things are. Right. They're not in the army. How would they fucking know? They find out when they get in, yeah. they get pushed all this stuff. But I'm talking about Vallejo, California, where these kids have three options about getting out of that city or else they're stuck. Sure. Right. I've had kids come into my office crying like I'm, I'm tired of seeing my fucking boys shot. You know, I was just at a park, you know, the night before and with my buddy and his girlfriend and, you know, they shot her and shot their kid. Like I've, I've heard every possible story from the worst parts of society. And do you think they give a shit at the moment what the army is teaching that month? No, they just right. know the way out. So that kind of is where I where I'm coming from with that stuff. Now, again, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's this is all coming from somewhere. Right. It's not coming sure. from the lower it's not pushing its way up. It's coming from down. Right. And I would say overall, like what you said, like this is not a military wide problem because at the end of the day, like whether people want to admit it or not, um, 
I don't know if you're watching what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, but those motherfuckers can't do shit right. Right. And I do know for a fact that our army at any given time, especially down to the tactical level with our infantry guys and our special operations forces, they can do whatever they want at any given time. Right. And our logistical operations that support all that can do whatever they want at any given time and overcome any logistical issue that we have at any time. I've seen it, been a part of it. Yeah. Throughout 21 years, throughout multiple deployments, I've, I've, I've seen every possible level of it too, throughout Afghanistan, throughout the Middle East in 2015. Like, none of these issues that are facing these conventional forces right now, like with Russia and Ukraine, we don't really have. Right. We're, we're in that, one of like the most comfortable times as a country. Like we are, which is, you know, I mean, and I've had this conversation with my brother and that's why I say like, what do societies in our position end up doing usually? They get bored. Becoming fucking they, degenerates because yeah, they have so nothing they push better to do. All of this fucking shit that we're talking about right now. They yeah. push it. It, it happened to Rome. Like we're not any different. We're not going to be the special ones. Like right. So at some point we need to. Unless we push back and say, <laughs> right, exactly. uh, no, no, that's yeah. not going to work for us. No. So I, I would say, unless you're really plugged in to very specific levels in the military, like you're not going to really see this stuff. Right. You, know, you're just Do you not. think that like, God, I want to be careful about how I ask this because I don't want to offend anyone, but from a, from a, uh, mission readiness perspective. Do you think that it would just be smarter for us to go back to a don't ask, don't tell policy? Like, I don't give a shit who you're fucking in your bedroom. I really just want to make sure you can handle your rifle and take care of yourself if you're. If you're yeah, I mean, I think I just put out the other day, like, it's not that we need that. I think we just need a, I didn't ask and I don't give a fuck policy. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't care. You know, yeah. I joke about like whether people, this might hurt some people's feelings, but I just like, whatever happened, what, what, when are we going to get to celebrate normalcy month? <laughs> like where you just celebrate, <laughs> like there's nothing special about you. Like you just, you're just quote right. unquote normal. No, it's, you know, everyone has to push some form of identity or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, how is that relevant to just being able to kill the fucking enemy if you're asked to do it? It's not. Do you think, okay, so the, I, I want to go in a different direction with that now. Like you saying, you're not fucking special. No. I think as a society, people have come under the some impression that by birth you are special in some way. Like, it, I don't know if they've just all had mommies and daddies that have spent their whole lives telling them they can go on American Idol, but they really can't. <laughs> yeah. And I... I when did that happen? Like my dad spent my entire childhood telling me all the ways I am not special. Like <laughs> you can't well, do that right. You can't do that right. Like I I was I was emotionally and mentally beaten up as a kid and it served me well. Like I yeah. I have humility. I told you I have a face for radio. Like that's just it's okay. To yeah. not be special. It's okay yeah. to just be a normal. fucking person in the normal. world. I guess yeah. yeah. Celebrate faces for radio and all that. No, I just, I don't know because uh, I'll be honest. I mean, my, my parents were super supportive and, you know, this is not a knock on them, but maybe if I was, I don't know. I don't even want to say it in a negative way, but you know, maybe, maybe that constant, yeah, you're, you're great sort of shit really hit its fit, hit, hit me in the face when I got to college and realized I wasn't. And I had to fail right. to kind of figure out a lot of shit. 
So I don't know, but I, I, I would say like, you know, this is what I'm going back to with the whole, you know, when a society's bored, this is the stuff they push, but it's all really happened in the last 20 years, right? Right. Like think about, go back to high school and think about, did, did you know anybody who was gay? Maybe, maybe one or two you thought, right? Maybe, but no one was yeah. opening out with it. Now you walked out. Now what is it, everybody? In my niece's 13-year-old, like she's going into eighth grade now, there's half of the class is something. But it's not important is the, is the overall right. point. I got, you know, family that are that are and it's it's great and they're over it like why do we have to constantly push this stuff and it's and it's not even them that are doing it anymore it's it's the other people that are doing it for them right and it's and i go back to the point because i know if someone hopped on right now and they're like oh eric's no eric just really doesn't care yeah i don't have to care about your identity or what you're into sexual like it doesn't fucking matter right and then from a military's perspective, it really doesn't matter. You're not special. That's the whole point of the military. The whole big green mean machine is to not give a fuck about what you are. Right. How do you fit into how we execute our mission? That's it. Your identity, the person you love, none of that fucking shit matters. You either meet no. the standard or you don't. Period. Period. No. That, that's, that's where I, that is the mentality and the level I come from because that's what was taught to me from a, from a, a, a private and basic training was like, and my most humbling experience in basic training was my very first PT test. Cause I failed it and I never failed one other one since. And I refused to believe I could fail another one since. Cause I couldn't, I failed to run. Right. I wasn't fast enough. And my drill sergeant said flat out to me, he's like, you fail another one. We're kicking your ass out. You're going home. Like that was the biggest eye opening thing to me because no matter what I was doing, it wasn't good enough at the moment, but I knew I could get better. But Eric, it didn't matter who you were fucking. It mattered how no, fast you ran. No, right? no yeah. one ever gave a shit. No one asked. Yeah. And it didn't. It didn't matter. It wouldn't matter. Right. Right. And none of that stuff to this day in any way has nothing to do with just the military. But in any walk of life, I don't see how your sexual preference is relevant or why I should care about it. Right. I never will. Yes. Because no one cares about mine apparently because I'm quote unquote normal. And, and me saying that is bad probably to somebody like, oh, he thinks she's normal. Like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I'm not, but I'm, I think I'm pretty normal. Yeah. I'm just, just a dude. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's where I would come with it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a don't ask, don't give a fuck policy. Yeah. It's not important. I like that. Don't ask. Yeah, put that down. D A D G A F. Trademark it. Yeah. Don't ask and I don't give a fuck because <laughs> I don't see why you should. I really don't see why someone else's personal life is important to you. Right. Or me. It's just not. I'm going to stay in the military vein for just one more question. So I, I put like a generalized question like, what do you think about the world right now? Ooh. But before I go into that, um, like watching what just took place between Russia and Ukraine, well, Russia and Russia and Ukraine, it's like threefold now at this point. Um, how do you say but, that? Do what? How do you say that guy's name again? Fergoshin. Yeah, that one. <laughs> and Shoigu, which it's really funny because all their names sound like Japanese people. And I'm like, yeah, why? Yeah, there's, I mean, Russia is such a big country, man. They got so much Asian influence in there as well, but that's yeah. mostly Chinese. So yeah, that's a big planet out there. <laughs> yes. 
Um, talk to me about actual like mission readiness. Like you were talking about how like our SOF guys, our yeah. our um, ground level infantry guys. Like, do you think that there is a chance that we in our lifetime, mine and yours, that we would see? conflict in our own nation like do you ever think that we would see that here man i I have said a hundred times and i will say it a hundred more is that if we did we wouldn't need the military yeah because i don't think anyone's going to survive the coast before they let alone get into the middle part of this country just with our own citizens our own yeah like i've talked about would you want to go through what they call appalachistan down through north carolina those mountains as a oh, foreign, like not knowing shit about the terrain and having to deal with the locals who've lived there for centuries. Yeah. Who's got been fucking their cousins. Yeah. Like dug, dug in generations, just dug in with an arm to the fucking teeth. Like you I'm really just kidding. Appalachian Stan, don't come after yeah, me. I was you totally after she said it. dueling I, banjos at that point. She said it. She joking. did say it. But yeah. All <laughs> of that. I, Northern California. You're not coming through Northern California. Which, right. You know, the, the state of Jefferson, those folks up there, like, they will fucking kill you. Yeah. I mean, I don't think our military would be needed. And yeah. if they did, I mean, I don't think we'd have much of a problem. And that's kind of the point, right? Like, that's why we have Well, that's what I wish, Heather. You know, I wish, you know, if it was an actual issue for national security, I, I wish that's what we were dealing with, like, here. Like, because that's right. where I'm at in my in terms of my, my military thinking is, like, I will do anything for my country. I'll do anything for my friends and family, but I would love to do it right here. Right here. Yep. For someone dumb enough to show up on our shores. Yes. Absolutely. So then I have another question for you, like a follow-up. So if that's your position, it's a fairly what we would call a nationalist position, a populist position, right? And so my question to you is, do you think it's still necessary for us to have bases in Okinawa, uh, Schweinfurt, et cetera? Like, do you still think that we need to have a presence across the world to prevent anyone from wanting to come onto our shores? Well, you, you know, I, I've seen some of this. Um, I was on, I remember I told you our annual trainings were always overseas right overseas, so one yeah. of them i think it was either it was probably 05 because i think 06 i was in italy but 05 i was in germany again and we were in hanau and that base was closing and i remember there was protest outside the base do you know what they were protesting uh the money leaving us, us leaving yeah yeah like, i mean you got to think like post you were war the II. economy for that particular area post world war ii reconstruction and large a lot of it you know you had whole communities built up around the base military bases yeah yeah you pulled for that sure. plug i mean that happened like when brac took place which was the base realignment and closure plan i think it was 11 2011 a lot of like they closed a lot they did yeah well even back when i was born i was born on han and yeah. um when they closed that base down. And my dad said, you know, they had a huge hard time with it around that yeah. particular area. So, cause that was right outside of Frankfurt at that time. Yeah. Obviously Frankfurt. still there, like the bigger ones are still there. I would say, I think we could absolutely. And this is from a, a, a two perspectives. One, just 
from the selfish side, I would say no, because if you're Joe and you're 18, 19 year old, you just want to go see the fucking world, right? That's part of the, right, yeah. of the military is go see the world, right? And then there's the other side of me that thinks like maybe strategically we could probably pull back. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't sit there and tell you every possible thing that we can and can't do. I think you need to have forward presences for when you have to respond rather than rebuild them. Because I told you, I was a part of opening a theater in Iraq. Sure. When it, that's one of the most unique experiences I could ever say. And I don't think I hope we never have to do that again. Yeah. But I know we learned a lot of lessons on how to. And that's sure. important. But yeah, when when you, when you start from scratch, I mean that is that is a pain, Heather. Right. That is an absolute pain. And then from a logistical side, and then from a strategic and planning side, I mean, General Shinseki said this: we don't have enough people to take Iraq and hold yeah. it. And he was right. They yeah. didn't like that answer, but he was right. Yeah. So I would say, I mean, I don't know. You probably could pull some stuff back. Well, I mean, it makes me wonder, like, with our recruitment down, how do you justify that large of a presence overseas anyway? Like, you have to start dialing back. And I think that when you're talking well, about a, from a warfare perspective, going yeah. in from scratch, like, that's probably why Korea and Vietnam were such difficult wars, because we had no presence when we went in there. Well, it depends how you want to take the, the Vietnam <laughs> well okay fair point fair depends point you, depends what you know um yeah well and then korea was i don't know man like you know i, I wish i just I wish i could just open up on all this stuff but it, it's true that oh i keep i keep forgetting no okay no Let's it's shift just, gears no we don't have to sh it's just it, there, i would just say that strategically whether people agree with it or not it's set up in a way that it makes sense. Yeah. You have Germany, you have Japan. So you have the Eastern and Western theaters, right? You have easy right. access to any QRF, which is a quick reaction force from the 82nd. They can jump off to the 173rd in Italy. They can jump off at any time in, in through, uh, you know, Germany and then into the Middle East very quickly after that. Same thing for the Western side, which everyone looks to China as our next threat, right? But that's, Probably going to be a very different type of conflict if it gets to that point, which I hope it doesn't. Because do that another would thing, be if it gets to that point, do you think that would be fought more? Well, I, uh, I, I, okay, I, it, it'll definitely be different. But what I think people need to fail or people fail to realize is because from a political side, I think they get too caught up in the uh, the woke side of the military without realizing that you know what, as big and bad as China is. There's a lot of people in that country that they don't want no part of it. Yeah. Most of them are poor. You know, most of them, they, they, most of them, they, they have no real experience. Well, that's why they talk about it being a paper tiger army, right? Because yeah, they don't have what, conscripted soldiers, experience? not voluntary soldiers. And what's their experience? Right. You know, and, and they I haven't had say, any for. Right. Since Korea. Largely, yeah. and then uh, as opposed to what you went. But, you know, the other thing that I think we, I, I, I would, and, you know, Kennedy said this recently on the, the Rogan podcast, and he makes a great point is like China projects economic power rather than military. Right. And I think that is a very good point. And I think it's something that if we really focused on doing that, we would be in a much better position. I think because, if we started shoring up like critical infrastructure, right. 
That, well, we did this in Afghanistan, right? Like w- from our contracting side, we built so right. many roads and passes and all these things. And, and then when it came to like the critical resources and oh, we'll just let China take that shit. Like that happened. Like right. all the precious metals and all China's just sitting there mining them out. Yep. Cause we didn't, we, 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 we gate, we said, Afghanistan, this is yours. You I want to make we'll, some fucking money. We're going to yeah, go over so here we'll, and talk we'll to, China. to China and we'll just, you know, we'll let them pay us to take it. And, and so, you know, they haven't spent the last 20 years fucking us over in our own country. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No, I just, honestly, this goes back to your question about, you know, from a national defense perspective, I just think it's, we are, we, we were, we were blessed with the greatest piece of territory in the entire planet. We are surrounded by actual shores and oceans of defense. And if anyone's dumb enough to show up on one of them, they're just going to have to deal with so much more before they have to deal with the actual military. And if we just relied upon that and just focused inward on taking care of our own fucking country and our people, yeah. the amount of money, the amount of rounding errors that we find and just shift over to fucking Ukraine like every other week. billion dollars? Yes. Like I'm, tired of step, I'm tired of going to the, the, the great American cities in this country and stepping over fucking homeless people. Right. Like that could never exist in our country. Like we have entirely too much money to sit here and see one homeless person, let alone the millions that are around this fucking country. Right. And I've been to every, I don't sit in my little bubble and be like, oh, I'm just going to parrot talking. But no, I've been to every fucking coast, been to every major city. I've been to the small towns across driving across this country three years uh-huh. in a row all over it. And it's it's insane for that to even be a possibility, let alone a reality. Right. No one in this country deserves that fate. And we should never at the expense of our own people ever give a dollar to anyone else around this planet before our own people. And I will yeah. die on that fucking hill a million times because no I, one can make a case to me as that being more important to help some other fucking citizenry and country fight for their quote sovereignty rather than propping up these citizens who make up this country first. Yeah. The last omnibus bill, when I saw the billions and billions of dollars going to foreign countries to shore up their borders mm. while ours is wide open. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, we're not, a, we are not a serious, we're country. not a serious country. It's like, we're not, it's, yeah. you can't tell me that. And it's uniparty. Like it's not even, no, you're right. Yeah. That's every the- fucking one of them sat there and said, I think it's a great idea for us to not do anything about our own border because then we don't have to take a side. I can say you're not a humanitarian. You can say that I don't care about our safety and we can just keep fighting back and forth and get money from donors. And we can never actually do anything about this problem that we have. I mean, the uniparty thing is a real issue, right? That's that's, that's a hundred percent, especially when it comes to these issues we're talking about. Like look at now, who are the biggest hawks all of a sudden? The Democrats, like, where the fuck did that come from? Exactly. When did that happen? Slava Ukraina. It's like, what? Yeah, when? Oh, okay, right. This, you know, hey, I took politics of the European Union in college, too. I know Ukraine didn't fucking exist 30 years ago. Okay, you're trying to tell me that all of a sudden there's this great fucking fight for your sovereignty? Like, no, they're fucking Russians, okay? Just because you change the borders on a map doesn't mean Russia doesn't still look at them as them. That's like, I say this, what if California was like, you know what? Fuck this whole United States shit. We're not doing this no more. Oh my God, Eric. Or, or what if, and I played this scenario out multiple times in my head, 
What if China decided to go hang out in Mexico the way that we went into Ukraine and then we usurped the Mexican government or no, not we, I apologize. China usurps the Mexican government and installs their own friendly comedian actor as a leader of Mexico. He's a very serious man. He does Vanity Fair. Oh, God. He those heels, man. They look so good. And then how would the United States respond to that? No, I mean, it's a great question. And, and you know, at the expense of sounding like you almost kind of want to see it, I just would love for us to play the whole – I, you know what? I'm going to take – because he, he said it better than me. So I'm going to just take his shit. And that was, again, on the, the, the Rogan podcast with RFK. He's like, we, maybe this wasn't on that. Maybe this was something I saw on Twitter from him. But it's just like we have to stop approaching every other country or world leader as only from one side. The we're the good side and you're the evil side. Right. Because they're all doing it too. And if everyone's doing that, then no problems on this planet are ever going to get fixed. Sure. And I don't care if anyone hears me say that and is like, oh, he's a fucking like idealist Democrat. Great. If that's what that makes me cool, I'll be that. Sure. But, you know, I did watch for 21 years, just, you know, our treasure and our human lives just bleed out in this fucking country. And if you weren't a part of that, then please don't question my patriotism and where I come from with that view. Right. right? Because that's the truth. And what you're saying is 100 percent right. There's a lot of things that are going to get really uncomfortable for people if someone decides to act in the way that we do sometimes. Right. Like what China's happens when the U.S. leaders Cuba. start getting sanctioned by foreign powers? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the problem is they don't What happens when Nancy that. Pelosi's house gets uh, taken by the Russian government because she was yeah. involved in this? You know what I mean? Like what, yeah. no, what right do you have to go steal someone's yacht and then give the money to Ukraine? Thing. That's just a, that's just a very weird thing to me. And then you know this comes back. To, like let's go back to the Lindsey Graham video. Yeah, where he's just sitting there laughing, like you know this is the best investment we've ever done. Best investment we've ever made. And the rest of dying. The rest. I wanted to go through the television oh at that God. point. Like, I was really, so that's mad. What we're, we're we're gonna cheer the deaths of of, of young people. men of just a uh, uh, young. And where are most of these people? They're the distant, they're the completely disenfranchised population of Russia because they're most right. of them are recruited out of the fucking jails. Yeah. Like, yep. We're and that's what we're gonna laugh about. And that? celebrating. Do you do you remember the Russian guy who got caught unaware by the drone and he got hammered fucking like three times yeah. and he's yeah. down in this ditch and they put it to fucking music? Yep. Yeah. And laughed at him. It went viral. Yeah cheering it on it's very very weird we were in a very weird time like you said though from overall because we got so many people so like the, like they think war is somehow this drone footage with a music soundtrack to it and it's like yep. man you know you might just view things a little bit differently if you know even someone who dies because of that right you know, and that's the problem in this country is we're just so big and, and and at this point that most don't really have a connection to people in the military. Right. And if they do, it's an afterthought. It's, oh, I, my friend's fucking cousin just joined. And, you know, like 
the problem is this country is too big and too detached and too inwardly focused to really give a shit about what's going on. All they know yeah. is they need to have a Ukraine flag in their bio now. That's what they know. Right. And they need to log on to TikTok. No critical thinking with that at all. It's just like, oh, yeah, let me, let me make sure my, my flag's in my bio. And, you know, I got one on my yawn. And, and you know, as long as they know that I, oh, oh, wait, it's Pride Month. Let me make sure I got my, you know. Let me make sure I'm an ally. Do I have my rainbow Are you around an ally? my PFP? Am I an There's ally? There's another month coming next, so you better get ready for what you have to be next. <laughs> and none of it fucking matters. It just does like, you know, whatever happened to just being a fucking American? Yeah. Like, just be. Just an American. I'm not hyphenated. I'm just a fucking American. Right, that's it. I don't like, got to. Just an American. That's it. Just care about my country and my people, and I don't give a fuck what you do outside of it. Yeah. Okay. Or just like your, your, your family. We've moved away from the church. No, We've moved yeah. away from community in general. Like when's really? the last time a community got together and mm -hmm. did something good for someone or, you know, it's just. Well, it's not popular. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, promoted if it is. I mean, it's going on all over. It's probably going on right now, but you're not going to hear about it because it's not important. Right. You need to hear yeah. about the conflict that took place or you need to hear about the protest. Or you need when to hear that. So I was talking to someone the other day about my mom had brain surgery two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. How's she doing? And she's great. Actually, I took her to her first follow up appointment today. Great. And I don't want to like take up showtime with that. No, but know, she's, but sure she's she having some recall issues, like memory issues. She's having processing issues where like yeah. she wants to say a word and she can see the word, but the word can't come out of her mouth. So just little things like that that she needs to work on. But she got her staples out today. Her incision looks good. Um, everything's everything's That's good. as good as can be expected. Can right be, now. Yeah, That's yeah good. we've got... Yeah. About three months before the swelling in her brain goes down enough where they can do cognitive testing to see like where she stands at this point. So, yeah. so it's just me being a daughter and like seeing my mom and I freak out because I'm like, yeah. you've asked me that question three times in the last two days. So what the fuck is wrong with you? And then she's <laughs> great. Listen, so... I, there's a little farmer's market right next to my house. And yeah. she goes, will you pick me up some peaches and strawberries? And I was like, yeah, I'll pick you some up. Well, the next day she calls me again and asks me if I'll pick her up some peaches and strawberries. I'm like, yes. So she calls me on the third day. And I'm literally like, I just left the farmer's market. I have all of this stuff in my car. She calls me and she was like, hey, will you get me some peaches and strawberries? I was like, mom, you have asked me this. This is the third time you've asked me. I'm on my way to your house right now with peaches and strawberries. And she goes, well, I didn't know if you remembered that you were coming out here. So she like turns it around. <laughs> like, it onto you, I yeah. forgot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, other than things like that, she's actually doing really well. Uh, walking, talking, like she's doing well. So I'm really happy about that but thank you for asking yeah absolutely because i know we were supposed to do this last week yes or the week before well i don't know La yeah. it was last yeah, week was and i suck at life i was out at my mom's house and i no, ended up being out there way later than i expected no, no to be, worries so. no worries um but my point was my aunt has been in town yes and we've had some great debates like and do what the one with the haircut like me yeah the one with the haircut like you <laughs> actually she's anyway um so 
we've had some really great discussions. Yeah. And I, she got into an argument with me and she was like, they're not transing children. They're not doing that. They're not doing mastectomies. They're not doing uh, hormone blockers or any of that. Totally. And I was like, they, they are in large numbers. So like I pull out, I said, would you consider Reuters to be a reputable publication? Because that's the yeah, thing it, now. Yeah, It has to be something that they like to read. Right. <laughs> you can't give them like if I pulled up Fox News, she'd be like, that's trash. That's not yeah, true. Yeah. You know, whatever. Only so. the sources that I approve of because right. they only but, write the stuff that I like. Yeah. So I asked her, she was like, yeah, so I pull this report up and I'm showing her the numbers. And she was just aghast. She was like, I cannot believe this is true. I'm going to have to do research. And it was like, you were high level in this world. Yeah. And you're telling me that you don't know this. And she was being genuine. Like she would never participate. Yeah, in not trolling like you. She's just like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember really where I was going with that, but. Because <laughs> we were talking about China, and somehow I ended up on my aunt. That's that true. I don't know where you're going with it either, but I, hey, I'm here for it. What's up? <laughs> I had a point, and now I don't fucking remember it. It's because you asked about my mom. That's true. I shouldn't have done it. Uh, okay. Where were we going? Was it was it back to the like? I don't know either. I have no fucking clue. Like there none. will be wine. What's it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, I. I mean, I guess or is this related to somehow readiness? No, uh, that doesn't matter. We're just gonna go to the back to my question that I was asking right. you. Like, what yeah. do you think about the world right now? So you've mentioned oh. Rome a couple times. Well, yeah. And so I'm curious, just in general. Oh, we were talking about like community and stuff. Oh yeah, that's yeah. where I was going with this. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There you go. So she and I were talking. She called me today to find out how my mom's appointment went. And she's coming back in town in two weeks. Okay. And she's going to be here for a whole month. And so she was like, I would like to do this and this. And she's giving me like a laundry list of things I need to prepare for her arrival back to, to town. And one of the things my mom has like three buildings. She's got a huge barn. She has a cellar house. She has a well house. Like all of this stuff. And we want to get all of this cleaned out because this is like a prime opportunity. My mom's a hoarder. So mom, if you're watching this, I'm sorry. I'm like My throwing your dirty laundry out there at this point. Um, but she's not really, she just, she attaches sentimental value to a great number of things, yeah. which is also a hoarder. So I'm sorry. Um, but the, my aunt's like, I need you to get a dumpster out there. And then she goes, and can you find like a couple homeless people to come work for a day and we'll pay them? And I was like, <laughs> I, the, the way that sounds, like it sounds so wrong. But you were yeah. talking about like, we should never see a homeless person. I'm like, that's I, I, like, how do I feel about that? Is that a good, you know, like we'd be providing them with yeah, money for a day's idea. labor. But then I'm like, are they, is that like asking somebody to be your slave for a day? Like, what does no, that look like? Not, you're paying them. That's not slavery yeah. at that point. That's a, just a good market of opportunity is what it sounds like. Then you got to get them willing to actually do it. Right. I did. I, I thought it was weird. And then, she, well, I'm not even going to say the next part. So are you interviewing people now at the moment? Are you getting ready? 
<laughs> no, she what she said was highly inappropriate. And oh, so of course. Well, that makes sense because she is from the she's left. She's a liberal. So they, have the <laughs> they have no idea the things they say. They they're they're actually the ones with the most hate in their soul. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm not even gonna go there. But I do want to know, like, how you see the world right now. And do you think if your values align with mine, and I think they somewhat do, like I, I would say we're relatively close on many yeah. things. Do you think we can course correct or do you think it has to collapse and we start over? Um, I mean, that's a great question because I think no matter what, and I see that I always tell people to do this in their own lives and you probably do it yourself, but you, know, you turn off social media, you turn off the TV and you just go out and talk to people we're not that far off and we're not that far apart and we're just not that bad when you actually do that. Right. But when you do the other and you open up all these, you know, streams of information, it's nothing negative. It's nothing positive. It's just all the negativity. It's the like, Oh, get mad at your liberal fucking aunt because she's, right. you know, or all that stuff. And I just don't think that's that real. I don't think we're that far apart. I think the, the one thing that kind of exposes all of it is every time one of these elections comes up, right? And they're like, oh, most people are in the middle and are independent or whatever, because you got to win the independence. Like, I think that's where most people really are. Right. That's a really uh, true point. Yeah. I think most people are in that mindset. I don't think there's enough people in this country who really care about a lot of that stuff. Right. And that goes back to my point is I think we're just, we're, we're probably too detached from a lot of these things. Um. But in terms of how do I see society, I don't like where it's going. Yeah. Like if this is totally reflective of what's because going on. Because you have a daughter. On. Yeah, I do. And I mean, you know. Um, she will inherit the earth. And what will it look like when it? Yeah. It like there? I said, it seems to be a lot of this stuff has gone in the past 20 years. Probably, I would argue that you know, people can say this shit all they want. But I would argue a lot of this fucking shit happened when Trump became president. Yeah. Like it all, it all fucking the we, polarization we, that snowball was went downhill yeah. very, very, very fucking quickly. Right yeah. now, everything's just getting pushed. And, you know, yeah, you start fucking with kids though, and then we're gonna have a real issue. I think that's. I think that may be the breaking point. Um, well, and I think uh, let me interrupt you real fast, and then I'll let you finish. I think that's part of the problem, right? So the activists need conflict to raise money. They need to yeah. be able to say these people are telling you you can't get health care these people are telling you you know whatever it is yeah the activists need conflict well covid provided a very clear indication of where the hot button is and that's children stop yeah. trying to put a fucking mask on my kid's face stop telling me to shove a needle in their arm that you don't know what that that stuff is going to do to them and you had moms in droves wait a minute, what do you mean you're talking to my kid about sex? Like, that's not yeah. cool. That's for me to do at home. Yeah. So you woke up like a whole group of people that are like, mm, nope, I gave birth yeah. to that child. It's not a community product. Like you, yeah. this is not yours. Yeah. And I think that many activist organizations saw that as an opportunity. Oh, well, if you start going after the kids, you can raise more money. You can create more conflict. And that seems to be where it's at right now. Yeah, we're a nation of fundraising. I mean, I was about to troll Crenshaw earlier because I got his latest little email about, I'm going to share with you some top secret intel. 
Like who fucking lets this shit out of their office and stamps an approval on like, who does this work on? And, you know, I was in our chat and Joe is like boomers. That's who it works on. Yeah, right? It's true. It's, it's like, true. who says this dumb shit, especially on the heels of all the fucking things that are facing Trump. Right. For violating right. basically classified information. Right. Yeah. yeah well, apparently there's question, an audio now. Look, all right. Look, Trump's the fucking dumbest person we've ever had president, right? Okay, he may he may have been one of. The- uh, now hold on, Joe Biden is president right now, sir. Well, you, you can't hold him cognitively accountable now. Like if this was, I don't look. If anyone wants to go back, could and you watch have held him cognitively accountable when he was elected? Did you vote for Joe Biden? Eric? No, absolutely not. <laughs> no, but if anyone wants to see like Biden just before his cognitive decline because the man's just old and that's why i don't pick on right. the dude because i've watched my grandfather go through this like he's it is, yeah. what it is go watch what he did to paul ryan in the fucking vp debates in 2012 and let me know if biden's dumb all right because he fucking made paul ryan almost cry on stage it was i felt bad yep. for paul ryan you're all not right, wrong anyway, about that. no but yeah so it's just like the trump doesn't he didn't take any of it serious he didn't take any of it serious he's no different than the 21 year old kid who just got hemmed up on shit because he was sharing shit in his discord chat yeah oh look at this stuff that i got this is so cool, cool oh, dude, you're just a fucking 80 year old child now yeah. you may have done some like don't get me wrong trump did a lot of good things all right yep. he did a lot nope, i agree with you 100 a lot of good things especially militarily and over with foreign relations and overseas and he did a lot of good things however you're never going to change my mind that he's just an 80 year old fucking child who never grew right. up and he's a spoiled little fucking baby and he's done a lot of great in his life. Don't get that. There's not, it's not taken away from any of that, but it doesn't negate the fact that he was just the fucking, he's just an idiot. Yeah. And he was president. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big, and they're never right going to let him be president again. It's no. not going to fucking happen. He is not going to get reelected. Yeah. You know, you're right. Showing you that that's not going to happen. And we are in a very weird time. So if we're going to go back to, do I think we need to either course correct or it's just going to all have to collapse? I don't know. I think the collapse will probably happen, but it'll probably be way after you and I are gone. Yeah. Because like I said, we're not special. No matter what yeah. you want to think, we're not like we've we've had this great experiment with we're democracy. Really yeah, but we're not fucking special. We're just not. The universe doesn't care and our time will come to an end like it has with every other fucking dynasty and all this shit before us. Right. We're just next. <laughs> okay we just we're just next so you know what that hold on that's what gets me every time like every time there's a debate it's like are america's best days still ahead yes they are now let me tell you why right. no they're fucking not yeah our fucking best days were in the 50s when we fucking figured out like real actual problems and how to make a, a sandwich yes <laughs> <laughs> No, like I, our oh, your fiance is gonna be like, who is the bitch that you're talking to? Fucking wall. Uh, no, I'm watching the Giants game in the background. Um, no, like I'm sorry, but I, I will. I still think to this day we peaked in the 50s and 60s. I agree. We may have a lot of crazy cool shit technologically right now, but I mean that damn smartphones made us all dumb as fuck. Yeah, but how much does it cost you to go buy your week's worth of fucking groceries and? That's not going to get better. That nope. will never get better at this nope. point. So, no nope. price of meat that I get is doubled in the last three years. So, yeah, I mean that's just. I I went to the grocery store and bought one week's worth of food 
yesterday. And I, so I like to do these experiments where I, yeah, buy, I don't need like, to this, put this up there, like the price of something and whatever. Yeah. So I need to go back and do, so for my inflation experiment, I was doing three items. I did milk, a mm -hmm. pound of hamburger and a loaf of bread. Or ah, the three okay. things yeah, that I did. Yep. But this time I went into Walmart and picked like the same thing that I did before to kind of compare side by side. And we're talking a hundred dollar difference. Oh shit. For one week's worth of groceries two what? years ago. Yeah. Two years ago, hundred dollar difference. Yep. See, and that's what I say. Like, look, I am a very fortunate individual on what I'm able to afford. I don't right. understand how the average and below average families in this country make it. I really don't. Well, yeah, because no you're, I mean, home. we're talking two small kids at this point. Like, yeah. no, it's I, crazy. I, I have no idea. And I don't know anything about your situation or your personal. I don't know any of that shit. I just, when I extrapolate that out, like where my parents live in Tennessee, in Pikeville, Tennessee, in the middle of fucking nowhere, Bledsoe County, one of the most poorest counties in this country. I do not know how those people, A, get food and right. B, afford gas. Because I know what they make in that county. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. And then you got to pay mortgage or your rent or whatever. And yeah. I, I have no idea how most of these people are doing it. And that's where I go back to, I'm, you need to find some fucking account, you need accounting errors and send that money back to the fucking taxpayers. Yeah. That would be great. How about that? How about a rounding error in the, in the IRS and like, Oh shit, we took way too much this month. We're going to send it all back. No, don't you love it whenever uh, – I'm trying to remember what I was talking about the other day, but there was something budgetary-wise where they were just like, oh, oh, it's roads. So they were having a hard time collecting the same amount of taxes because more people are driving electric cars now. So they're not getting gas. And the gas tax is what they were using to fix the roads. Well, now it's going to be the electricity tax. Right. And that's what they, so no, no, Eric, they're going to now charge each individual by the mile that they drive, not by the oh, amount of gas that they consume. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. They're going to make oh, you oh, plug oh, a little device oh, into oh, your car where they oh, track oh, how much mileage you drive. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it was IRS, a time, right? Like, cause, uh, I remember I borrowed my buddy's Tesla probably it was probably two years ago. And man, even going to the little high, like super charging station, I still got to sit there 45 minutes for the charge and it would be cheaper. It was probably like 12 bucks or whatever to charge the fucking thing. Right. How often do I got to do that? Right. Then how, I gotta how, how often do you really have 45 minutes to just sit there and charge? No, your car? It, that, I mean, it, it's dumb, but that's funny because you're right. At some point, the government always needs to find a way to either replace or get more. And if you're going to replace the gas tax, well, now it's going to become an electronic charging tax that's on your little electronic charging certificate. It's the same shit I was dealing with in Napa. So when they open Napa back up to restaurants and being able to go like, if you didn't pay attention and it's still there, you can go look at your receipt. You're paying the COVID-19 surcharge, which is no different than if you go actually look at your airline tickets still to this fucking day in 2023, you pay a 9-11 fee. You pay a 9-11 fee. It's 9-11 in what year? 2001. That's what that fee's from. And you're still paying it. It's never going away. Ever. It's there. 
The government never takes away anything. Once it's there, it's there, or we're going to make it bigger. Never going to make it smaller. Right. And see, that's what I was saying. I was like, the average human says, oh, well, I don't have as much money. Then I need to cut, I I fire some people, (laughs) reduce expenses. Are you paying more for staples from this location than you need to from that location? Like we cut costs and, but not the federal government. The federal government's like, how can we tax the citizens more in a different way to recoup the, how can we tax them even more so we can maybe add 87,000 people to the IRS? <laughs> yeah. I don't know enough about the whole IRS 87,000. It seems like a weird Oh, I was just joking point. about that. I was no, just- I know, but it just seems like a weird talking point that people use like, oh, 87,000 agents. Like, okay, I don't know if that's real or not. What I do know is that <laughs> all the people who love to say that like, the Republicans are small government. Y'all motherfuckers gave us the TSA, the Homeland Security Agency. Y'all gave us all that shit. Thank yep. you, Bush. What did Trump do? Oh, let's create a space force. Like, like yep. come on, man. Like, it, this isn't let's Republicans just, or Democrats. It's like a balloon. Each president comes in yeah. and just, and it just gets bigger. I mean, yeah, I'm just saying, honestly, Obama wasn't bad compared to some of the shit we're going back and looking yeah, at. Yeah, no like, shit. Dude, all I know is Clinton left with a balanced budget. Like that happened. I'm not making. I'm not playing partisan tricks here. Like that happened. Yeah. 23 years ago, that happened, okay? Yep. Now where are we at? Everyone's, oh, 30 trillion, our kids and grandkids. It's like, y'all stop fucking playing like y'all give a shit about that. You don't. <laughs> All right, it's just, it's, every time my fucking uncle gets on and, oh, my great grandkids are going to pay for this. Like, bitch, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it, it, <laughs> everyone's going to pay for it. We do it every day. It right, yeah. Grandkids, great, they're not special. I mean, like if the average American sat down, so I've done this before, and they totaled literally not just your federal taxes and your social security and your state taxes, but go total your sales tax that you pay every time you buy stuff at the store. Add that up. Keep track of it. And then you sit down and you total up what you pay when you go to the DMV. That's a tax. What you pay... On your insurance, there's a tax on there. What you pay on your cell phone bill, there's a tax on there. Every single thing that you do is taxed. And then at the end of the year, calculate that against your net income or your gross income, I mean, and look at how much you're actually taxed on an annual basis. For me, it was 52% of what I earn is taxed. And that, so, yeah, you're, oh, we broke up the no-hitter in the fifth inning. What's up, Giants? Take that, Gossman. Tyro <laughs> Estrada, what's up? All-star, that guy. Um, yeah, well, you know what? You just put yourself in the highest tax bracket without probably being in it. And that's before right. they start doing all that same shit. No, because right. at the end of the day, like, I don't think most people from And I don't have, like, tons of businesses to write all that off on. I actually end up paying that. Yeah, I don't think most people from one year to the next carry any of that money with them. Yeah. Like people really are paycheck to paycheck regardless of what they make. Yeah. Like if you make 30 grand, you're paycheck to paycheck. If you're in some of these parts of the country where you make six figures because that's how much it costs us to work there, you're still paycheck to paycheck. You're not special. You just make more and give and spend more. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason. Like just look at real estate around this country. And for some... Man, Napa, California, 
houses that haven't been have been built in the 70s and haven't changed since going for a million dollars for an 1100 square foot house for what? with nothing <laughs> exactly but you give me a million dollars and i go to the middle of nowhere in this country oh i'm gonna live like but then i gotta find a, nice a job house. to have that right and then you're not gonna have that so yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, you know, it goes back to the question is like, is this sustainable or is this going to just eventually collapse? Is gonna be or is this the back? greatest time in America? Like, no. Well, give me a break. It's not. And I'm tired of people saying it might be for people who get asked that question. Yeah. See, there's the difference. Who's getting asked that question? Right. It's probably not the dude making 30 grand a year with a family of four. Yep. Right. Like that's probably not the greatest time in America for him. Yeah. And it was once that, I mean, that wasn't bad once upon a time. And not to be confused with America being the greatest country in the world. Like it I still st- absolutely the fuck is. Yeah. <laughs> I still believe that. Oh, absolutely. Of the choices that are out there, this is still the best country, but it's not the best time in this country. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Couple more questions and I'll let you go. I've had you for two hours. So yeah, I got steak to grill. What's up? um okay and you have to go to bed in like an hour like where are we at oh my god it's bedtime for you (laughs) (laughs) okay what is your most embarrassing moment or most embarrassing thing that you enjoy doing my most embarrassing thing i enjoy doing is probably blaring taylor swift at all decibels (laughs) i love taylor swift and I know people hate her at this point. Now it's fashionable to hate Taylor Swift. It's like, all right, yeah, we should really hate the last fucking artist who actually writes music because we don't think like her. Like, it's just like, come on. I don't know if that, okay, but what? Nah, there's got to be more. Um, like, what's something that you just, well, okay, or most embarrassing moment? Like, I would like for you to share. I don't, I don't, I don't know that you could ever really have an embarrassing moment, though. I feel like you would just kind of walk it off. Yeah, no, nothing. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm sensitive about a lot of shit, but I do just forget about a lot of stuff and just brush it off. I'm sure I've had an embarrassing moment. Like, what the hell did I do? Oh, I mean, <laughs> there's an Iraq story. Slap. I think it's funny, though. I mean, it is embarrassing in the moment, but it's funny now. I even probably have told this already, but whatever. So, yeah. I, I... The fact that you're laughing this hard <laughs> makes me so happy because I cannot wait to hear this story. You, I know I told this recently. So anyway, so yeah, coming back from the gym in Baghdad and in, in, in Iraq and uh, the the walkway from where we lived to the gym was probably, it was probably like a good mile walk. So it wasn't quick, right? Okay. And it was just a time to relax or whatever. But I remember... Hey, Giants are winning. What's up? Uh, <laughs> Note um, to self: Don't schedule a podcast with Eric are, when there's a Giants game on. Hey, this is this was most of my podcast. Patrick Bailey's a rookie; he's just killing it. Um, anyway, so the walk back just before the Burger King was like the the Porta Johns, like a row of like twenty Porta Johns. It was, it was the the Porta John Hub, right? And I was in my PTs coming back from the gym and it was, it was winter. It was probably like November, December. So it was kind of chilly in Iraq. Iraq does get cold at night. It's a fucking desert. Um, 
And so I'm in my winter PTs and I go in the bathroom because I just had some really bad stomach issues that night at the moment. That's why I left the gym early. I just wanted to get home and I got into the Porter John and there wasn't any toilet paper. And this was bad. Like this wasn't just normal. It's like, oh, we're <laughs> this is bad. Like get out. Oh, he caught it. Anyway, so yeah, I had to use my, uh, my PT shirt. Oh my God, that's awful. Yeah, so I did. I used my PT shirt and I put my jacket back on and zipped it all the way up. And, you know, I, I walked home to the little, to my spot and I, I got in the shower as, as soon as possible. I don't know if that's really embarrassing. In the moment it was, but now I think it's yeah, fucking Yeah, that doesn't hilarious. really sound embarrassing, <laughs> but it sounds horrible that you were reduced to taking your shirt off and wiping your yeah, ass. Yeah, I don't know. And that like, shirt is gone, terrible. never to be found again. I'm sure, like... What's kind of funny is that reminds me of like, this is even embarrassing. This is just kind of funny. So I was in Afghanistan in 2013 and I had a, uh, cause I, I, when I went back to school and tried, I went to the university of central Florida. So I had a UCF night shirt, bright yellow. Right. And, um, in Afghanistan and, and we had a bathroom stall area. And so I remember leaving my shirt in there one night or one morning. Yeah, I totally forgot about it. I went back at lunch to go try and find it. It wasn't there. I was like, motherfucker, they fucking threw my shirt away. Like two weeks later, I see one of the little Afghan help dude that we hired to clean the bathrooms and shit wearing my fucking shirt. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so I go up to the dude. I'm like, hey, man, that's I, I like your shirt. He's like, yes, I like it too. I'm like, yeah, I whipped it. Give me my fucking shirt, bro. Like he's like, I <laughs> I made him take the shirt off right there. Oh, Eric. That's my shirt. I still have it. It's hanging in my closet right now. That's my shirt. I remember I made that motherfucker take it off. He stole my shirt. He stole the shirt out of the bathroom. Like, you didn't think a soldier was going to come back and get that? Dude. And then you wear it? Maybe don't he wear it like to the lost base. and found. Don't wear it to the base. Come on, man. There's no lost and found. Fucking Afghanistan. You lost it. He found it. I didn't lose it. I left it. That's the difference. <laughs> left and found is what it was. I didn't lose that shit. That was my shirt. Set it down and found. I got it. I should have wore it tonight. I should have been like, and you know what? This fucking shirt is the one I'm talking about. I should have wore it. Let me I see that it. shirt. Oh, I had this made for my dad and my brother a few years ago. This is the Bandazeski Barbell Club. This is a silhouette of, this is my brother. The angle's weird. This is my brother. This is my dad. And then this is me. This was a picture in my brother's garage gym, us working out. And then I had it made into a shirt for his birthday. So, and then it says that's since awesome. 1949 when he was born, because that's when he was born. And my dad, he looks small in this picture, but that motherfucker was massive in his time. Now he's just 74 and still getting after it. But yeah, yeah. he's smaller than my brother and I. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, last question. And last one. Here we go. You ready? If you could change. One thing to make society better, what would you change? I get rid of the internet. Ooh, that's a good answer. That would help. I, 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 my answer would be to make everyone go back to like Nokia brick phones. Yeah, just to get rid of the internet. Like not get rid of the internet because I think like communication, things like this, like where we're able to do that. Um, it was my question, not yours. Oh, I am. Okay, you're right. I'm sorry. I'll shut up now. That was weird no, of me. Okay, go ahead. But you know what? I mean, if you took away a lot of this stuff, 
and, and maybe there was just different access to it. Like, you know, what you're saying is fine. Right. But just this constant connectivity where everyone has to feel like they're an influencer or they're, you know, they're at the pressure of all this bullshit being fed to them. I'm yeah. just saying like, it wasn't that long ago in our lifetimes where we didn't have this. And I thought we were all right. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I, I mean, connectivity is great. And I, and I, I've made a ton of friends because of this, ability to do it but I feel like you know, i wouldn't it, be friends with you without this right, right? but okay what's the, if, if the trade-off of society is better then all right. oh well sure yeah, yeah. i don't want to be because, friends with you, you know, either. that's that's the hard decision right when it comes to society is that you have to balance what's better for everyone versus what's better for you and yep. most people don't want to make that decision most people want to just do what's best for them yep you're right so selfish selfless some... service it's an army value yeah. selfless service put the needs okay. of others before your own Basic army value. It's right there. Yeah. It's, in the, it's on Basic. the fucking dog tag they give you when you join basic training. It's 100%. Right there. there you go. Thank you, Eric, for coming on Absolutely. with me. It's been a long time coming. Like yeah. this has been what, like two years in the making, but. Um, Let's hope it takes longer for the next one. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> this was too long, bitch. That's, That's what you, what, this is what happens when you get on a podcast with a girl. Like we talk a lot. No, I, this is short for me. Like some of mine are way more than two hours. This is good. <laughs> this is good. I'd go longer, but I mean, I gotta, I gotta cook. Some you got a game. You got food. I'm actually fine. Like that's the best part about this being wine. If this was bourbon, I'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why, like, so the last one I did, he's like, "Do you ever listen to your podcast?" I'm like, "No. Why? Why would I ever want to go back and listen to myself like right. two hours in, being just like, right, so you know what?" Because in my head, I still feel like I sound fine. But if I probably went back and listened and be like, dude, you're hammered. End oh, this. my God. I had to stop getting high. Like, I used to eat gummies during Liberty Happy Hour. <laughs> I had to stop doing it because I went back and I, I was trying to pull, like, a clip for, like, promo <laughs> or whatever. And I heard myself high as a fucking kite. And I was like, oh, I sound yeah, like I an should... idiot. <laughs> I was like, I'm never do doing that. this again. Yeah, I can't. I still can't do those. How's that? How's the, how's the gummies? Uh, the gummies are great. I that's the thing for me. Like it's calories, right? I can pop a gummy and feel great, and I don't have to consume a lot. Are, to... are there calories in the smoke? Well, I, no, but I have asthma, so ah, it hurts my well, lungs. Okay. And my only issue is just like if we're gonna genetically engineer shit, how about you you make weed smell good? Like, you know, shit. Why is I it smelling like a gum? I don't miss that about California. Half the time I'm out here, I can't, I cannot stand the smell of weed. I think it's the most disgusting thing on this earth. Yeah. It's, well, it's funny because you drive by a dead skunk and you don't know if you're smelling weed or if you're smelling right. a skunk at that point. 100% true. <laughs> um, Fucking hippies and their hippie lettuce. Uh, but it's it's I don't know I enjoy it if it's just a gummy. Okay, that's fine. But as soon as you start smoking that shit, it's like you take your hippie lettuce and go somewhere else. Nope, I've never know. even smoked a cigarette before. Like what? that is not my. How did you get into like going to, for the gummy route then? If you were never going to smoke weed, what? Did well, you... I did smoke weed. I've never <laughs> smoked a cigarette before. Ah, okay. But I was twenty six. And I smoked weed for the first time and <laughs> there was, or whatever, the devil's lettuce. The, the hippie lettuce is what it is. Yeah. So lettuce. I was sitting on 
on my patio. My dad had bought me this plant because I kill everything. Like I he have the worst. Weed? No, oh. he bought me a plant. So I'm smoking weed with my friend that came to visit and I'm looking down at the floor at this plant and I start laughing hysterically, like ear to ear, cannot stop laughing. And I looked at him and I was like, that plant is drought resistant. I know how dumb that sounds now, but it was so fucking funny to me in the moment. And from that point on, I was like, I really like this shit. I'm always happy when this happens. So anyway, okay. That's how Heather came to love marijuana. All right. I love you. Thank you for coming on with me. Yeah. Send it out. I'll promote it as much as I can. And we'll yeah, I'm not going to edit this either. Like, I don't there's... edit anything. I've never edited a day in my life. Oh, well, I, I always like do, but this one was really, perfect. Really? Like there was no issues. Yeah. Don't edit. edit well, stuff. sometimes I ask questions that people feel uncomfortable answering. So they'll say, will you please take that? Oh, out? actually, That's I take that back. I edited it once. It was the last time I think Christina Wong came on and we talked about 30 minutes of Afghanistan and I had to, I had to edit myself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't her. You did a yeah. good job today though. You kept oh, things pretty... Yeah, yeah, hopefully, you know, well all will be well. Although I, I'm going to end this recording, but I have one more question for you before you okay. leave. So don't, so don't leave. All right. Later. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Forgot to do like the exit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to be notified whenever we have another episode come up, please subscribe. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Please make it a great day in America. This is the country where few people leave, too many people want to enter, and dead people still vote. Take care. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death!